This is Bad Gamers Anonymous, a podcast dedicated to helping gamers not suck. Their two-step program of sack up and get good can help even the worst of gamers just be bad. Garrick and Crowley review the latest titles and discuss the latest news and issues. Here are your hosts, Bad Gamer Garrick and Bad Gamer Crowley. Get good, scrubs. Yes, get good indeed, scrubs. This is Bad Gamers Anonymous, and I am your host, Mr. Crowley. Welcome to the show. Joining me, as he is prone to do from time to time, like every week, it's our good friend Garrick. Garrick, say hello to the friendly folks out there. Hello, friendly folks. I don't have a word of the day for you. I'm sorry. Thanks, sweet baby Jesus. Uh, so we've got a special guest this week, as I'm done berating Garrick. We have a very special guest this week. He has come to us all the way from 1985. Uh, he is the host of the Basement Podcast, the Ready Player One uh, companion podcast to the book, to the novel. And he even sometimes throws in stuff about the movie. He's also uh, the host, uh, co-host of uh, the Cantina Cast. Uh, we've had, uh, you know, his other co-hosts on here from time to time, and this is his first foray into Bad Gamers Anonymous. Please welcome Bad Gamer Albert. <laughs> wow, thank you. Uh, I don't think I qualify as a bad gamer. I don't. I'm just a gamer. I don't like being, you know, labeled in any way. So, but yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. I listen to the show. Uh, believe it or not, I'm a huge fan of Garrick. Bad, you know, Crowley, you're all right, but Garrick's really where it's at. So, thanks for Yay. being letting me be here. Yeah, you're welcome. Glad you could make Perfect. it, Albert. Perfect. Coeval. Coeval is the word of the day from dictionary.com, meaning of the same age, date, or duration. Look, you can't just steal from anyway. But Albert, it's great to have you here, even though you enjoy Garrick more than you enjoy me. That's <laughs> well, fine. actually, and I'm excited to be here too because uh, I don't know if you've already shared the topic and all that, but this is right up my alley. And I just want to say this has been the most stressful week in my career as podcasting because. You threw this thing down about give me your top 10 video games with really no kind of structure. <laughs> and I have lost sleep. I have not spoken to my kids. I'm not eating. I'm not. It's just been horrible. So I'd like to just get this over with as soon as we can. Sure. No. And that uh, that sounds great. Yeah. No, I think so we did share this, this week. Five segments beforehand. Five seconds of what? Five segments. No, I'm not having five segments. <laughs> Why would I do five segments? You already are. It's in the show uh, notes. No, We're doing yeah. five segments before we talk yeah. about it. We really are. Well, there's a lot to cover this week. And so, Albert, like you're this is your first time here in Bad Gamers Anonymous, and you've already said that you're not a bad gamer, and I I, I apologize for labeling you as such. But can you kind of tell us, uh, you know, what is your gaming experience? How did you start? Do you still game? What systems, if any, do you own? And then what's your favorite modern title, if you do indeed have one? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so a little bit about my background. Uh, prior to what I'm doing today, um, I ran a used video game store for a number of years. Um, it was primarily during the 90s. And so as such, I can honestly say I've owned just about every video game system that's out there because people would trade these things in. I would take them off their hands for, you know, pennies on the dime kind of thing, pennies on the dollar, and take them home, play with them, take them back, put them back in the store, sell them, that kind of thing. So for, for a number of years, there, I was privileged in, in being able to kind of play a lot of the old school stuff. Now, since then, probably since about 2000, life has happened and I've had children and have a wife and all of that. So I don't really get to play as much as I used to. Um, and I don't certainly don't go out to like E3 or the conventions or anything like that like I used to. But it's still a huge part of my life. Um, it's still 
reminisce about a lot of the old games. And really, my sweet spot is uh, no, you know, shocker, but in the '80s is kind of where uh, I'm probably more depthly uh, knowledgeable. Um, but beyond that, I, the last question was about my favorite modern game. Um, you know, I, I would say that I'm going to say Battlefront 2 because I've really enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun when we played that. Um, and Wait, I, are you being facetious? No, no I, I don't think he is. I no, think being, I, I, think I really serious. enjoyed that game. Um, and it, it, it goes with like a lot of the other games, the multiplayer games. It's really not about the game. It's the fact that you know, when we were there and Crowley, you were a part of this and we were playing those games at night. We really weren't playing the game. We were kind of, I mean, yeah, the game was there. Don't get me wrong. It's a fun game. I enjoyed it. And I was actually for loot boxes, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but, but it was really about the camaraderie, right? Everybody kind of talking about it while we were playing it. It's just that experience that really kind of gives, you know, does it for me with, with games, especially with the multiplayer stuff. So, yeah, I mean, and then my kids were playing this game tonight. They played for about, uh, they were supposed to play for 30 minutes. It turned into two hours. Don't tell my wife, but they really. <laughs> They really enjoy the game and, and watching them play and, and, you know, seeing them getting getting really good at it and proficient in it. It's just, I don't know, it's it's kind of touching. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with that game. Nice. Uh, and, you know, and I've said on this show many times that gaming for me anymore is more of a social thing than it is anything absolutely. else. Absolutely. So I, I can absolutely, uh, I, I can get with that. So let's talk about the Cantina cast real quick because that was your first kind of foray into podcasting before you started the basement yeah so tell us just a little bit about what the cantina cast is all about uh, where people the people can find you and and uh, what you guys are uh, talking about in upcoming shows yeah um so the cantina cast is a pretty long-running show four or five years now at least um maybe even longer depending on what mike likes to share um but really it's a, a weekly discussion about star wars and we really get into the weeds really nerd it up and talk about uh, character motives, you know, scene analysis, character dissections, try to get in the minds of them, try to understand what they were doing. Uh, there's a lot of theory, a lot of speculation, a lot of headcanon that we like to share, which is always fun. Um, and we really try to stay focused on just that. We do some news and that kind of thing, but we really don't get into, you know, anything beyond that. Um, I think right now we've got a listener feedback show coming up. We've asked for a number of questions. Uh, we just came off our Han Solo dissection stuff, so we've been covering all of the characters from Han Solo are from the solo Star Wars story movie. And beyond that, I think we're going to start looking at, uh, I think, and maybe I'm, I'm probably going to spoil it or break it here first. Uh, you heard it first, but um, Asajj Ventress is going to be the next character that we're going to dive into. So uh, I've been prepping for that. So pretty excited because she's really one of those characters, dark characters, no pun intended, that hasn't really gotten a lot of uh, airtime, at least on the Cantina cast. So should be a lot of fun. No, I'm looking forward to that. Asajj Ventress is one of those... Uh, characters that when you talk about in fandom or geekdom or however we want to put it, you know, how does she stack up against other Jedi, other Sith, yep. you know, where, where does she rank? So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that uh, because I haven't seen solo yet. So I didn't want anything to be spoiled. So I haven't listened to the last few shows you guys have done, but the basement, let's talk about the basement, which is the next show. And I've told people to listen to the Cantina cast since this show started. So go listen to it if you haven't already. Uh, let's talk about The Basement, because The Basement, uh, I've been on for one episode, three parts, So, but I guess technically three yeah, episodes. Yeah, three episodes. Yep, one chapter. And, yeah, one chapter. And it was the, like, it's just the best time. Like, I, I, I love the book I, that I read in 17 hours. Absolutely 
love that novel and I'm, I still haven't seen the movie. I'm looking forward to that, but let's talk about the basement for just a minute. Tell the fine folks how you got into that, where they can find you and, and what you talk about there for, you know, anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours, uh, you know, every other week. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a biweekly show and it goes a little bit longer, um, than the Cantina council. Well, yeah, we hit somewhere between an hour, 30 minutes, hour 45. I mean, really it's a, we take the, the book chapter by chapter um, and yeah, we talk about the book, but really the, the, what we're really focusing on is the pop culture references. So we kind of dive into the pop culture references themselves, talk about, you know, our own personal experiences growing up. Uh, we get on some wild tangents. We've talked about everything from post cereals and, um, <laughs> yeah, to, oh, uh, I don't even know. We, we got into like duck boobs at one point. And so you'll have to listen to that episode where we talk about Howard the Duck, but really we dive into that stuff. <laughs> And it's so much fun because it runs the gambit. There's so much stuff to talk about, you know, where some of the other shows, like at least with Cantina Cast, we feel very, you know, it's focused, right? There's a very, a very specific thing that we're talking about. Uh, but with The Basement, it's kind of anything goes and it just allows us to kind of let loose and kick back and, you know, imagine hanging out in H's basement, you know, drinking beers and just talking with some buds about what sucks and what doesn't. And that's pretty much the show in a nutshell. So, um, and then both of those shows, you can find them on pretty much, I think, everything. We're on iTunes, iHeartRadio, you name it. If it's a podcatcher, you've got a podcatcher, you can find Cantina Cast or The Basement just about anywhere. So, Yep, absolutely. I encourage our listeners to go out and a- after you've listened to this episode, start listening to both of those. Great, great content in both. Uh, I, I absolutely love it. And on the last episode of The Basement, you actually had an honest-to-God rocket science, uh, scientist on. Yeah, Stargate Pioneer was able to uh, make some time out of his busy schedule. Uh, to, he does so many shows and does so much stuff that right? that's crazy. But um, we were very honored to have him on there. So that And it's actually one of my favorite shows um, that we've done so far because it really gets nerdy. Because, um, yeah, we're talking about the pop culture stuff, but we start getting into the science of things, which is kind of cool. Uh, yeah, that guy, I don't know how that guy has time to like tell me what scotch I should be drinking and, and which ones <laughs> yeah. I should pass on. Yeah, so. yeah. And then we got uh, episode five is, uh, well, the chapter five episode will be breaking here on the 17th, so in three more days. Um, nice. Yeah, so that should be a lot of fun as well. Nice. So, Albert, again, it's great to have you here. We've got a ton to cover. That is, uh, we're going to talk about retro gaming. I promise we're going to get there. But there's a ton of stuff in the news this week that I, I think we would be remiss if we didn't, if we didn't at least touch on, I mean, so, we don't have to. We don't, but we're going to. <laughs> uh, let's talk about first uh, Jessica Price getting fired from ArenaNet. Now, if you're not familiar with this story, uh, ArenaNet runs Guild Wars 2s, right? Is that right? Guild Wars 2? Yep. Is Guild that, Wars 2, okay. one of the yeah. longest running MMOs. That's not true at all. It's, and it's a terrible I don't want to say I it's a terrible game. I don't personally like Guild Wars yeah, 2. I, I can never know. get into it. No, I can't either. Uh, but uh, Gary, or, uh, Albert, have you ever played Guild Wars 2? I played the original, and I think I played yeah. the beta of Part 2, um, and I was still tied up with WoW and just kind of bowed out, so I never got really tied up too much into it. Yeah, that's kind of where I was with it as well. As there were just other games that were out. I tried to get into it, and eh, I couldn't I couldn't do it. So uh, regardless, Jessica Price is, uh, and I'm just going to read her bio from Twitter here because this is where everything just kind of, blew up. She uh, uh, labels herself as a game producer, writer, editor, howling, uh, I don't even know what that is, that word, Menad. Uh, Arianet narrative team obsessed with uh, lionesses, salty language, I block often, I won't play demure for you. That's great. I don't I don't care what you play and what you don't. All I care is if you do your job or not. And apparently she did not. So gaming culture sucks. I think we can all attest that, right? Gamers yep. as a whole 
or dicks. It's a very, very toxic community. Like at least it, online, it is. Yeah, and, and Albert, have you had any? I mean, you play Battlefront too, so you've probably run into that, haven't you? Uh, absolutely, and it's never changed. I mean, it's always been this way. Um, we're there is probably more prevalent now because of you know the internets and interwebs and that kind of thing, but it's always been there. Nothing's changed really. Even in the days of the arcade, that was there were trolls in the arcade. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, look at uh, yeah. yeah, look at uh, what's his face, uh, Billy, whatever his name is. Forget his drawn a blank right now. Yeah, no, I yeah, like the guys who who play competitively in the arcade games competitively, like they are all trolls, oh, every yeah. one of them. Huge weird trolls stuck in the eighties. We absolutely huge weird trolls stuck in the eighties is the best way to put it. Uh, and so this isn't new, and one of them got under her skin with something that he had said and it doesn't matter what he said. It doesn't matter how he said it. He's a troll. He doesn't, he doesn't work for anybody. He's a nobody. He's a no name who was lashing out at Guild Wars two. Right. Because when you work for a company, when you work for the company, you are the company. What do you mean? No. Are you the, the guy who replied to her tweet? Is that what, well, what happened? Yeah. So, she she wrote this lengthy Twitter thread about the difference between writing characters for linear and and narrative driven games, right? Mm-hmm. So basically, the difference between a game on rails and a game driven by story, I guess. I don't I, I don't care what the difference is. To be honest, I care whether or not I enjoy the game. So so it, it was this, that, but it was it was also basically like NPC character progression, things like that, and how you can't really have really emotionally um, like interesting NPCs in games like MMOs because of the game structure. Whereas like single player linear games, you can, you can get invested in the extra characters that you interact with. Right. Okay. So this YouTuber calls like, what did he do? Did he call her out? Is that what he did? No, all, all he did was offer a suggestion. It's like, well, what about uh, dialogue-based... Um, so he didn't even call her out. No, he didn't even call her out. He was like, well, what about this this technique, this dialogue-based uh, uh, <laughs> so like then... branching path dialogue discussion so that characters feel or players feel like their character has more, um, more to say, more to do, and that they have a, an interaction, something that they are choosing to do with that NPC and, and how they want to rea- uh, react or interact with that NPC to maybe have more of a, a bond between the two characters. Okay. And, yeah, and, it, was, and then, it was really well put too. Like it was, it was constructive. It didn't sound offensive or even like, no, it wasn't cold. offensive at all. Right. And she absolutely lost her crap. Yes. Like she felt like she was being oppressed. Like she was being mansplained to. Yep. I guess is that what so, they call it? So yeah, so her reaction was was like, I don't need to be mansplained how to do my job that I've been doing for a decade now. Um, obviously, I've heard about uh, character branching dialogue paths, um, working as a writer for ten plus years, and all that stuff. And she called him like I, I want to be very clear here. She called him a rando asshat. Is that right? Uh, that I don't know. It was it was it was a rando something with the word ass in it. I don't even know what it was, and I don't think it, that it really matters. All all you really need to know is that she works for a company, she has it on her bio on Twitter, and she called a customer 
basically a random asshat. If any one of us did it at any of the jobs that we worked at, gone. Would you, would you get a warning, Albert? Would you get a warning? Uh, probably not. In my job, no, I'd be gone. Right, Garrick. Would you get a warning? No, there's a specific policy in place regarding social media, and that I would absolutely be fired. Okay, as an employer. Do you have to have a specific policy in place that says don't call customers random asshats? If you don't want to pay unemployment, then you do. <laughs> Fine. I don't look. The state I live in, Iowa, is a right to work state. They can fire you for anything. So is so is this, and it doesn't mean that they can't apply for. No, they absolutely can. Absolutely, they can. But like, I just don't look. We, we were talking about this. Albert and I were talking about this before the show. You and I were talking about this before the show. And in every fandom, and especially gaming, like it is a very toxic culture. It is a culture of being a dick. Like we see it we, even with 13-year-old boys using words that 13-year-old boys and girls shouldn't be using against other 13-year-old boys and girls. The, the whole uh, doxing, is that what it is? Or the swatting? What? The oh, swatting. swatting, yeah. So we're, we, this is the culture of gaming. I'm not saying it's right. I'm certainly not saying that. Let me be very clear. The culture has to change because it muddied up what Gamergate was truly all about. But that doesn't seem to be happening anytime soon. But let me be equally clear. This woman deserved to be fired. Jessica Price deserved to be fired. This is the same woman who, uh, when Total Biscuit, who, who passed because of cancer, who was a very vocal proponent of Gamergate, uh, when he passed, she basically said, and I'm going to quote here, I'm glad Total Biscuit's no longer around to keep doing harm. She was happy. She was insinuating or implying that she was happy that he had passed, that he had died. Like, I don't care what you think of any other individual. Like, Dying of cancer is pretty pretty rough. That's a rough way to die. Yeah, Like, that's not something you should be happy about. And it's certainly not something you should be implying that you're happy about. Yeah, just, just because you disagree with somebody on, on a particular thing doesn't mean that their death is something to be celebrated. I, 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 and I don't think it's something to be calling names either on Twitter. You're not rising above that fray. You're not rising above the noise. Right? And, it, and, and as you guys pointed out, what he said wasn't he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was very constructive. He was asking a question. He was he was just probably looking for an answer at some point. And so I don't I don't I don't have a problem with her getting fired. I really don't. And there are other fandoms out there that we could all speak to that that have this same sort of thing going on. And we have to I think we have an obli- a responsibility to rise above it. Like Albert, do you have anything that you want to add to this? <laughs> well, and to be fair, so I don't. Uh, when you you know coming prior to the this show, obviously you had sent this article out and said, "Hey, go get, get caught up on it." So I hadn't really been on my radar to be honest, and it was scary because as I was reading this, I thought, "Wow, this is very this is hitting home right now with the you know Star Wars fandom," uh, because this is very we see this a lot. We see people that are creators, designers, they're speaking out, um, saying things, lashing out at fans, right or wrong you know, justified or not, it's just surprising to me. It's almost shocking that this is even occurring because as much as these trolls like, you know, to be fed and it's continuing to happen, I am surprised that, you know, I could, like I said, I could never do this and I would never do this. I don't know that I, you know, 
I wouldn't do this because I wouldn't jeopardize my job. And I've like like Garrett mentioned, I've I've signed policy policies at work that say I cannot engage in this behavior, and it's very explicit in terms of what I can and cannot do, uh, even with my own quote personal account, because I do represent the company. And you know, there's certain things I can talk about, right? If I want to go complain about you know AutoZone because they screwed up my car or charge me you know five bucks for a bottle of oil, whatever the case is, I can go do that. But when I'm talking one-on-one with clients, contacts, people that we engage with on a business, day-to-day business type transactional um, um, way, I don't, I, I just, I'm not allowed to do it. So it is very shocking. It's very, uh, it's, it hits home with what we see in, in not just Star Wars, right? This happens in a lot of different fandoms. And, you know, prior to coming on, I had mentioned that uh, DC Comics had just recently, you know, love or hate DC Comics or, or you know, that whole franchise, but the, they have done something just recently in February, they released their social media uh, guidelines. And, and this went to all of the creators, right? Regardless if you're a, a freelancer, work directly for the company, contractor, whatever it, the case may be, they released a very explicit social media policy that kind of just, you know, nips all of this type of behavior in the bud. And, you know, love it or hate it, it's been wildly successful, right? They haven't, they've kind of kept their noses clean and it draws a distinction between what, you know, you can and cannot say as someone that is affiliated with DC Comics and specifically as it regards to the fans and, you know, more so the trolls that are out there looking for the attention. Well, and absolutely. And and, and Garrick, there's a, a PC Gamer article uh, that is basically saying that the IGDA is urging studios to clarify guidelines for social media conduct because of this Jessica Price situation. And, you know, Albert just talked about what DC's you know, their social media guidelines are. I mean, is this something that you think we're going to see where like there's going to be some pullback from these developers, from these publishers uh, in their interaction with the fans on social media to kind of stay away from this kind of uh, dialogue getting out of hand? I, I don't think so. Uh, personally, I, I don't think this is a, a going to really have any large effect on the gaming industry as a whole these people have these people being the the game developers and publishers they have pr people they have social media people whose job it is just to do social media um as far as the developers go they're signing so many ndas left and right that they're probably not really discussing the game that they're working on on twitter or anything like that anyways they're keeping that pretty much internal um now, I understand that this was a, a conceptual thread on the design of characters in, in MMOs, um, so it's pretty general. I just I don't think that gaming companies tightening their policies on social media policies is not really going to have any diverse effects. You're not going to see game developers stop talking about games. Oh, okay, but are they going to stop interacting with, with fans? They're, absolutely not. They're still going to interact with fans. All right. Well, then, so then basically, it's the solution to the problem, then these companies telling their employees, hey, if you're not on social media, because my the company my wife works for says you can't say who you work for on social media. Like, we don't, it's not that we don't want you to be proud of where you work. It's that we want to separate your opinions from ours. So is that maybe what we're going to start seeing? Are these these gaming developers say, you know, hey, if you work for us and you're part of the narrative team, like you just shut up and don't tell people you're part of the narrative team. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't know how you can do that because of like things like LinkedIn and things like that. Like you're you're 
social media accounts are all tied into who you are as a person. And when you're applying for jobs, you have to sell yourself. So I don't know how they can really control it that much. I mean, I, I understand your your wives and things like that, but these these game devs are very personal. They they like talking to the fans. Um, yeah, I I don't think that there there's anything going to come of this that will see them stop talking to. Yeah, the and fans. I don't. I, Albert, the, yeah, I was just gonna say I don't know that the pol- these policies really aren't written to say you cannot talk to your fans. If you read the the text and really try to you look at what they're saying. They're basically saying, don't come out and say, quote, like the next rando asset who attempts to explain blah, 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 having worked in the game as an effing decade. I've never, right? This is a bad, this was bad judgment in terms of the words that she used. And this is what, this is really the crux of the problem. They're not, these the developers are allowed to speak to people. Just don't be a jerk about it, right? Be, be a, right. be a grown up about it. Be mature about it. If someone's responding to you, I don't care how bad of a day you've had. I don't care what sex you are. I don't care where, you know, your background, your ethnicity, all that stuff. Have, use good judgment, right? Have manners when you're talking to people. Those are the social skills that I think that yeah. are being lost here. And I think when you look at the with the the policies themselves, that's really what they're trying to get at is just don't be a jerk on the internet. You're going to get people that attack you. You're going to get people that don't like you, that don't like the game, don't like the designer, the company, all of that. Don't respond. Don't feed them. Be mature. Be you know, rise above it. Take the high ground when you guys are speaking to folks like that. I agree, and, just, and I think Gary, just before, like, let me let me just cover this real quick. Like you're seeing that when it comes to gamer on gamer stuff. So for, for example, uh, rainbow six is basically just banning people right and left for using words in chat that they shouldn't be using. For example, the N word, uh, somebody tweeted at rainbow six on, uh, the 13th of July saying, Hey, uh, F you guys, I just got a ban for saying the N word in chat and rainbow six siege tweeted back. Good. Yeah. Like, that's what they should be doing. The same with their, like, your employees need to have that same level of, look, you can't say this stuff to customers. Like, Garrett, go ahead. What were you going to say? I'm sorry. I cut you off just so that I could talk about Rainbow Six Siege for a second. <laughs> no, you're fine. Uh, I was just going to say, like, J- Jessica Price escalated this into an issue that it wasn't and really pointed this out. She didn't need to retweet what this guy was saying and then put in uh, uh, ahead of it um, today in being a female game dev quote allow me a person who does not work with you explain to you how to do your job like she turned this way further than it could have ever needed to be escalated and it was absolutely unnecessary and reading through the twitter feed on this thread it it just there was no reason to reply everyone was like why why did they why did she even reply? Why didn't she just ignore him? Like, why? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think a lot of us are asking that now in a lot of different fandoms and a lot of different genres. Why aren't more people just taking the high ground? Why do you feel the need to respond? Because you can? Is that it? Is it just because social media now is so prevalent and such integrated into our the fabric of, of everyday life now that you feel you have the obligation that you have to respond to everybody. I just, I, I think it's silly. I think it's frivolous. Uh, and she deserved to be fired. Now, the, the fries guy yeah. that stood up for her, he should have just sat down and shut up and he'd still have a job too. Yep. Uh, agreed. I mean, Jessica was working with ArenaNet for less than a year. However, this other guy was working with them for like 13 years. Yeah, look, so. I, I get why he, like, if he felt he needed to do that, 
then there was a way to do that not so vocally. He could have gone yeah. internally and done. There's, look, just don't be dumb. Isn't the moral of this story just don't be dumb? Now, have we have we said that the the person who replied um, actually has links to ArenaNet? Have we talked about no, that? No, no, and I don't know that he, it matters, does it? I, well, I don't know if it does either, but I think it's worth pointing out that he is partnered with ArenaNet to be a kind of like a hosted streamer for the game. Then, like, why, why was she even resp- in, in a way? He's hired Holy to play cow. this game. Whatever perceived oppression she thought was going on. Good God. If like, I can't imagine how miserable these people are in their day to day lives. I just absolutely cannot fathom it. I've been oppressed. He mansplained to me my job. What? Shut up. All of you. I don't, I just don't get it. Speaking of things I don't get and I don't like, can we talk about Kotaku for a second? Sure. God. Again. What's going on in the Kotaku like, let's just. For, for a website you really hate, you are really Dude, on there I'm a lot. not on there a lot. I'm not. It shows uh-huh. up in my timeline feed. I, if I could get it off my timeline and off my Twitter feed, I absolutely would. I 100%. If I could just like block Kotaku from everything, I would get I hate social media. I hate it so much. Uh, so apparently No Man's Sky, the game that nobody's playing, some guy who role plays as an evil emperor in the game destroyed mm-hmm. a yep. base of somebody who works for no man's sky. Is this, is this the gist that I'm getting from this? Is that, is that what happened? Uh, I, I don't think it's somebody who works on no man's well, sky. She no works sky. for, I don't know. Serious gamer. No, what that? That's the guy who did it. Serious gamer X and Lily hop is the, the name of the woman. It regardless. <sighs> Yeah, she's she's just a, a community okay. member. Well, um, she yeah. runs Cafe Forty Two, a fan space on social networking site all Amino. Right. I don't care. I don't. That's all. Whatever. <sighs> like she got all kinds of butt hurt because he said he wouldn't in role play, he wouldn't bow to a woman. Again, like it's just faux outrage everywhere. It's manufactured crap that doesn't matter. And this guy talked to Kotaku. He's like, "Yeah, I'm role playing. Like I don't understand what part of that you guys don't get." It's like it's just a role play. I don't understand why everyone's so butthurt. Kotaku just has to put gasoline on a fire that didn't even exist. Just dumb. Who's playing No Man's Sky anyway? Garrick? Yeah, Good I'm still playing. God, man. <laughs> you caught me. I, knew- I messed GX. <laughs> well, perfect. Perfect. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to say there? I hate all women. I will never bow down to a woman. <laughs> oh, so you're, you're the one, huh? Yeah, he's the uh, except for ex- my wife because she she okay, controls well, everything. That makes more sense then. <laughs> <laughs> but no other woman. I role play because my wife has my balls in a vice. Like I don't like whatever. As, as long as she lets. So me. do you guys role, right. do you guys role play just really quickly? Do you role play when you play games like this, MMOs and all that stuff? Well, you mean like in Dungeon Dragon role play? Type no, game? I mean like if you let, let's you know like just use WoW for example. Are you on RP servers? Or are you going PvP or I mean. I, I've never done it. That's the only thing. I guess is where I'm going with this. Like, and I'm a huge Does tabletop it, gamer, right? If you if you've listened to the basement, you know I talk about that stuff all the time. I love. Well, that's doing why that I asked stuff. about Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, yeah, and I do that. But when it comes to like the video games, I don't. I don't do that. Right? I don't even like. It feels weird just making a female character for me. Uh, I've done it a couple times, 
back back in the day, I was a female character exclusively because I just got free crap all the time, and it was great. Um, so yeah, I would, I would role play as a girl. Wait, but wait, wait, wait! Would you leave these guys on? Were you like trying to catfish them so you could get like? F- oh hell oh, yeah, God, Garrick! I don't even like. The, the things oh, so I learn much, about you so on a weekly basis. Dungeon runs, so many free items. It was great. Um, but o- only a couple times have I gone into like a role-playing server and tried to be like, Hark thou! Must yeah. I? I don't know. I got nothing. Like, does adult role-play count? Yes. No? I mean, no? Uh, well, no, regardless. Sure. I don't I don't know. I know. <laughs> look, they're, like seriously, I have walked into uh, rooms or whatever where there was like, I don't want to know. Let's stop there. Going on Whoa. in like Final Fantasy fourteen, and you just turn around and uh-huh. walk out of the room. It's like in real life. It's like at a party when you're in high school and you walked into the wrong room. <laughs> Two people. No, nobody ever did. You know what? Let's just move on. I guess now. Uh, you know what? Let's let's. We have new bumpers. Garrick's gregarious games. Garrick's Gregarious Games, baby. Uh, first up, I've been playing Fortnite on Switch, and I finally caved, and for the first time ever, I bought a battle pass for the stupid game. I like it. I don't know. It's cool. Uh, the main thing about the battle pass that I like is that you get a 50% experience bonus in playing the game. Um, it's just something about people on Switch are not great first-person shooters, so I actually stand Is it like chance. on the phone? Is it like playing PUBG on a phone? Okay. Yes, how how you won the first match ever you played yes. PUBG on the phone? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I, I um, it's still hard because these these kids are freaking good. They know what they're doing. Um, have a lot more time to do this than me, but uh, I've gotten a lot further than I ever have. For the first time ever, I got to the number two spot. Um, the other day, and I'm actually enjoying like leveling up and doing these daily challenges and weekly challenges. So I, I like that aspect. It has a reason for me to log in every day to do a little bit more, and I don't have to do a lot because matches are very quick. Um, but I don't know. I'm I'm the battle royale is is growing on me. I've not been a fan of the battle royale, but mm. I'm into it now. Right. Okay. I don't care. I don't care. Do I you know. like? Are you into these battle royale games, Albert? No, not really. I, I did the. I, oh. I was in the Fortnite beta on my phone, and uh, I it was okay. I didn't mind it. It just you know, there was a lot of updates, constantly crashed, that kind of thing. But um, I don't know. I've been thinking about jumping back in, uh, at least on my mobile device. No, I like you, Albert. Don't do it. I may have to do it. No, oh, man. What's great is I, I think Albert playing on his phone. And us on our switches, we can all play together. That's the nice thing about the oh, switch. Yeah. Cross platform. Hmm. Yeah, like Xbox, PC. Oh, here we go. Here it switch comes. and here phone it comes. can all play together. Oh, well, what was on the one that wasn't included there, Garrick? I can't. I can. Uh, the the VHS. Perfect. VCS. VCR. VCR. I have one of those. I, I know Atari you box. do. You you probably have more than one, don't you? I've got at least one. Do you have the do you, do you have the what? DVD VCR combo? Uh, no, that actually is no longer working, but it's in the garage. It doesn't work, but <laughs> I do have. It's in the garage. I got one. I love it. I love it. I have a, a DVD VHS combo in a TV. What? The TV we need has to talk after this. Wow. <laughs> I think he's going to try to buy it from me. I am. I need that. <laughs> no, it's, my, it's the only thing that plays my old VHSs. <laughs> Why don't you get them? You know what? 
you need to go on the basement and talk about how you should just convert those into digital. Uh, let's talk. Seriously, you want to talk this game right now? This is a game of the month. Yeah, I know. Right, and I'm going to say go is it's good. It is good. That's it. Octopath Traveler. It's good. It's very good. If you've got a Switch, like we'll be talking about this next week. It's going to be the July game of the month for Bad Gamers Anonymous. Very much looking forward to diving into this game next week and giving you our full review. I have yeah. already put more hours into it than I should have. I, I've put 13 hours in so I am, far. I am, I am right there with you, my man. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Have you gotten all the characters? I think I have one character left. Okay. No. No. Because I've been leveling them up. So, no, I think I have three characters left. Oh, nice. I'm doing that leveling right now. I'm, I'm in that little middle ground between uh, see? getting all the characters. And, all right. And let's talk about this mission. next week because you're going to get me. All right. I don't want to go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> Good God. Uh, do you have a All Switch, right, that's Albert? That's all I got. Nope, we do not have a Switch. We've got every other system but uh, the Switch. Wait a minute. Hold on. Were you not the guy that used to hate what? the Switch? What happened? I was hoping. I was hoping <laughs> he wouldn't bring that up. Yeah, he brought it up. Like I even, well, I even uh, created a a role, a role on did. our, and it's still there. So if you come over to the Canteen account, I'm not plugging it, but if you go to the Canteen account Discord server, you can. Plug there away. is a. I talk about the Cantina Discord there, server. The there's time. a role that I created that's called uh, Nintendo's. What was it? Nintendo Switch Boy fanboy, something like that. Fanboy. Yeah, and I gave it to him. Nintendo he was Switch the fanboy. only person on the server out of like 380 oh. people that had that role because I knew it. He hated it. So, what the heck happened? Well, I got suckered into wanting to play Zelda, which was not Breath of the Wild, more like Crap of the Mild, mm. but. Uh, there have been some pretty good titles, including Mario Tennis Aces, Bayonetta, God, Bayonetta I 2. Game. I know you do. That's why I love it, because you suck at it. And uh, also, uh, I'm really digging, I have to say, Octopath Traveler. I am absolutely loving this game. So uh, it's uh, it's if you like old school RPGs, Albert, this is the game you should check really? out. I'm just telling so you. So you're a big yeah, big fan of uh, Labo now. You know what? Here's You know what He's the difference between fan. Labo and uh, ordering a pizza is? Mm. You can eat one. Um, you can't eat Labo. <laughs> it's one. One's cheaper, and it comes with a pizza. I see. I see. Like Fair I don't. Enough. Labo's dumb, and anyone who gets Labo is. They're the same people who have Xbox. That that's who has the Xbox ones. Are the same people who order the Labo. Well, I do have an Xbox One, and I just got Labo. Yep. Yeah, did you pay for both? Uh, no. Okay, then I don't care if you get it free. Like whatever. I don't get anything free. I want to be very clear on that. I get. I mean, I'm looking free. at this fishing reel, and it's got my name written all over it. Oh, good God! You two can <laughs> bond over that. It's really fun. Show. You can actually like take the the switch and and scan things in with it, and you can make like weird fish objects that you can fish up. Yep. Yep. Welcome to Crowley's Corner. Hey, big boy. Want to play some games? Yeah, that's right. Let's play some games, big boys. Uh, I just want to say thanks to Jonesy real quick, uh, from your co-host on the Cantina Caster, Albert, for throwing me this bone for my uh, Crowley's Corner this week. Apparently, uh, Leonard uh, Fournette, who is a running back for the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, an NFL team, uh, for those of you who don't sports ball, Garrick, uh, he is <clears> upset <throat> at his Madden 19 rating. <laughs> He, he tweeted out, I'm not sending nothing. Just take me off Madden, period, and let my defense not be number one on there. I'm going to send a tackle, y'all ass. 
Uh, so he's upset that his rating was not higher uh, uh, or high enough that uh, he was. Uh, he's still the number one on the Jacksonville Jags team. That's the thing. Like, I think he was a 90, 93, 90. I don't even know. No. Oh, here we go. Yeah. So uh, def- defensive lineman Callius Campbell and cornerback Jalen Ramsey uh, also were n- among notables from the Jags locker room who thought they should have been rated higher coming in with a 92 and a 97. Like, I, whatever. <laughs> like these people. Is this what we're coming to in sports ball that your video game numbers aren't high enough? I mean, serious. do you play Madden, Albert? Do you play? Nope. <sighs> Don't play Madden. Do you play NHL? Nope. Don't play NHL. I play a lot of soccer games. Can we talk about those? I, I don't know what that so you, is. What you're is regretting this in, invite now, aren't you? I, I really am. Go ahead. If you want to talk about FIFA, go ahead. Like, is FIFA really that good? Like, convince me to play FIFA. Uh, I play I play Rocket League. That's kind of like That's soccer. That's not soccer at all. That's cars jumping around in non-real physics. <laughs> but with a soccer ball. That doesn't... With a giant beach... It doesn't... It's not the same thing. This... It, Albert FIFA. What's FIFA? So FIFA is the soccer game um, that everyone in the world plays except you. So, <laughs> okay. It's also EA's best-selling game ever or franchise ever. Yeah, and they've just always done a really good job, like graphics and gameplay. I mean, there's a couple of duds in there, you know, a couple of years that were kind of duds, but for the most part, it's a pretty solid title. Like, it's definitely worth. Uh, playing. You've never done any of the FIFA games? Or are you just not that big of, you just hate soccer? Uh, I played soccer in high school for one game and I got bored and quit. I played soccer in elementary school and I got a participation trophy. Who <laughs> did for life. Uh, I scored a goal in our own goal. <laughs> <laughs> You're that kid. Uh, that, you know, my brother, actually, his first points in, in, in his basketball career in high school were for the other team. Got the rebound nice. and put it right back in for the other team. That's nice. the dumbest thing I've ever seen anybody do. Um, so, Albert, I don't. I used to play FIFA. I'll be honest. I used to play FIFA when EA first started making FIFA games. And I don't hate soccer. I just feel that soccer is the most boring of all the sports, including bowling and golf. I, mm, whoa. What? Golf is much more boring. How is? Have you ever watched Tiger Woods on a bender? No, because I usually fall asleep halfway through. Well, you should, because he drives intoxicated and throws golf clubs at his wife. It's weird. I, I don't. I don't like. You're still not. I don't think that's how golf is played. You're still not selling. That's how. That's how I want the new Tiger Woods game to be played. You're not selling me on FIFA, uh, Albert. Yeah, you know, I don't even know what I could say honestly to turn it around. If you if you don't like the sport, um, certainly if you if you don't like watching it, and you're bored. I can see where it gets a little hard to get into, but I, I don't know. It's just, it's just one of those games. Like soccer is just an emotional game for me. It's like super emotional, super like this whole world cup is completely stressed me out. Um, probably more than prepping for this show, to be honest. And I've really, you know, looked forward to this every four years. And so when this game comes out, um, you know, when, at least when the, the world cup version comes out of it, um, it's a definite pickup for me. I think I, my first one was the 94 version that came out on the Sega CD. Uh, it was terrible, absolutely terrible. There you go. Uh, but then every the, like beyond that, like uh, the '98 version, 2002, all those have been have been pretty solid with the World Cup games. But yeah, I don't know. It's now can you can you play with your friends like more than one person on the, on your team? Can you have like let's just say like because there's 11 people on the pitch, right? 11 each yep. team. 
Can you play with eleven of your friends or ten of your uh, friends? I have three friends, um, so I've not. That's you know, all. Only three. Well, that's three more than I got. <laughs> so yeah, you can. Wait, am I not your friend, Crowley? No, no, you're not. No. So you can play with your three friends. Yeah, I can play with your friends. Maybe we'll get the game. Okay. Let's all get the game. We can play it, and then we can come back. I'll tell you what. If you can convince Jonesy to get FIFA, oh, get it. I'm out. Uh... <laughs> all right. Well, there you go. Uh, let's uh, let's let's get into the meat of this show. This is what we yep. wanted Albert on 40 for. Forty minutes later. Forty minutes later. Look, Albert's used to this. Okay. Oh yeah. Albert is used Marathon to this. Marathon man. Absolutely. Uh, so let's 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 talk about some retro titles. Okay. So what I asked everybody to do because I really wanted to to talk about retro titles because this is what this is the bread and butter of the basement. Everything retro. Anything nostalgia. So I asked everybody to come up with a top 10 list of their most favorite retro title. And the only requirement that I had was that it couldn't be on this generation of systems. So it couldn't be on the Switch, it couldn't be on the PS4, and it couldn't be on the Xbox One. Anything else is pretty much fair game. I went old school. I went like super old school, all right? And so we have a top 10 list. We're going to do this just like a regular top 10 list, like Dave Letterman used to do back in the day. On NBC before he pissed off Jay Leno. <laughs> uh, this is this is this is this is how we're going to go from ten to one. We're going to talk about the games for a little bit, and we're going to see if everybody else has that same nostalgia. And Albert, since you are the guest of honor, sir, what is your number ten retro title of all time? Um, number ten. All right. So it is a game that came out in 1983, released by Bally Midway, and the title of the game was Journey. Mm. Have you heard of Good that, pick. Gary? <laughs> Good pick. Hell so, yeah. Journey's one of the greatest games on PS3, in my opinion. Oh, no, what? that's not. What? No, no, no. that's not it. <laughs> that's a good one, though. Uh, I got yeah, you. Yeah, for, for a, a second, little... I thought, wait, what? Gotcha. Uh, no, so this is kind of a this is kind of a, a wild card, and I don't know if I'm being 100% serious, but it is a game that stood out to me as a kid because I was a huge Journey fan um, at the time. And so when this game came out, you had, you know, you aren't you still a journey? Oh fan? yeah, no, don't don't even get me okay. started. We can talk about Steve Perry and, and his beautiful voice all night. <laughs> but when Journey came, when this game came out, right, this is at their height of of success, to be honest. And not only was the, uh, the did you have a video game about them, but there were moments in the video game that once, and we can talk about the specifics if you'd like. But at one point, when you assembled the, the band, had all of their instruments together. There was a cassette tape that was embedded in the cabinet itself, and so when you got to that part, it would trigger the cassette tape. It would play um, separate worlds or uh, separate ways, worlds apart. That song would come on. So, I mean, you talk about like mixing two of the best media, right? You had cassette tapes and the cabinets, and you had you know the journey at the time that you know the sight that whole heightened sense of um, sensationalism around the band and their glorious locks of hair and all that, right? This is like, this was the title for me as a kid. Like, wow, this is this is so awesome. So yeah, it's it, it's got a lot of nostalgia. Now it's a terrible game, right? Let me make that very clear. It's not a very good game by any means. Uh, but the fact that I was so wrapped up in this game because of of, of the band itself. And interesting enough, the people that design that program the game are Richard and uh, Elaine uh, Ditton or Ditton. I don't know. I'm not saying that right or not. Uh, they were a husband and wife couple that started programming. They actually went on to create a game company called Incredible Technologies, and they cranked out a whole bunch of games, but their biggest claim to fame is the Golden Tee Golf Series. Have you guys ever played those? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. The, I can't tell you how many drunken nights exactly. at a bar were spent, or you know, trying not to vomit all over the golden tea console. Like that was absolutely, dude. Like that, that golden tea was the bomb. Yeah. yeah, and so this is this is their claim to fame. So it's a little known. Not many people know. Like if you mention them, right? Everybody. Well, I shouldn't say everybody. Those that know know they created the Golden Tea Golf series of games, but they really got had their roots and started back with journey uh, in 1983 wow uh garrick just that that's what research looks like did you do any of that i did a little bit of that yes man i i'm like the i'm like the dumb kid in class because i was just like this is my favorite game (laughs) i liked it a lot because of all right garrick what's your number 10 my number 10 coming out in 1998 on the pc from developer black isle studios is Baldur's Gate. Good God. All right, you know what? Baldur's Gate, I'm already, Journey's better than Baldur's Gate. Okay, whatever. This isn't your top 10 list, is it? Go away. (laughs) Well, I'm just, like, look, if I'm just being honest here, I think that uh, Journey was probably a better game than Baldur's Gate. I doubt it. Do you play Baldur's Gate? Did you? I played Baldur's Gate as much as I played Journey. Oh, so you didn't. I played a lot of Baldur's Uh. Gate. I I absolutely loved Baldur's Gate. It was one of my first introductions to kind of party-based RPGs. Um, I loved being able to pause. I was super into D&D back then. So the fact that this entire game was built using the the three, I think it was 3.5 rule set. um, I just, I loved diving into that and being able to play D&D because I didn't have any friends in real life that would play with me. So this this was D&D for me. Are you two like each other's spirit animal or something with this Dungeons and Dragons thing? Like, I don't. We might be. Albert, are you my spirit animal? Uh, probably your father. Okay. Oh, oh. All right. Well, things just got weirder on uh, Bad Games Anonymous. Uh, Albert, which, <laughs> which which is a better game, uh, Baldur's Gate or Journey? Like, you've played um, both. I played both a lot. And honestly, I'm going to have to say Baldur's Gate. Uh, see, why yeah. couldn't you just trolled Garrick for me? Because <laughs> he likes me better. I, I, I forgot. Everybody yeah, likes Garrick. I started the show with that, by the way. Uh, yes, you did. You did lead hey, with that. There is one thing I forgot to mention about Journey, if I could just go back to it. No, please. The, absolutely. <laughs> sure. Because you know, Not that Baldur's Gate is, is deserving of this, but there is the characters themselves, like the uh, the band members, their, their faces were like digitized. And that technology, there's this funny story, and we won't get into the details here, but it was actually that technology was supposed to be for another game uh, that was kind of launched and tested in some of the markets. And I think it was in the UK where you could go in, take a picture, and then they would use that digital picture in the game itself. Um, that game never made it to production because somebody uh, exposed themselves, put their junk in the camera, and <laughs> nice. threw that on the arcade game, and people saw it. And so that whole that whole project got scrapped. But they used that technology to. Uh, digitize the faces of the Journey band members. So, wow. Yeah, sorry. Wow. I needed to get that one in there because it was one of it's my favorite kinda, stories, and I completely skipped over it. It's kind of like the t- uh, scene in Teen Wolf where that guy's got his junk out at the at the end in the basket, like, or is it in the middle? No, I think it's at the end. He's yeah, got his junk end, out. Yeah. yeah, all right. But going back to Baldur's Gate, that was the the amount of time that you could pump into that game and leveling up your characters and and some of the exploits and and all of that were just so much fun to do. It also is one of the first gates, if I'm remembering this correctly, that Dritz Jordan, uh, the Dark Elf, was in. Um, he had been in, I think, a couple other games, but there was a there was a moment in that game when you saw him. And for me, 
as a big fanboy of that character, it was just huge, right? Being able to see him, and then eventually I learned how to kill him and take his sword, which was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, I I thought Dritz was in a couple games before this, but they were like smaller yeah, titles, smaller roles, and I don't think they were official. Um, but yeah, the fact that they they played nice with um, uh, Salvatore, that's the writer. Salvatore, yep. Yeah, Ari Salvatore, Salvatore. Um, is is really cool, and yeah, I I grew up reading those books i love dritz as a character so having him in the game was awesome i would actually usually style my characters after him anyways just because i loved rangers not that anybody asked but my top my, my my number 10 game is Battlezone, put out by atari in old 1980 school. old school Battlezone baby like i remember going into arcades and that was the one game that i absolutely wanted to play because for me, you look back at that game, and that was the first real attempt at virtual reality, right? Like, mm-hmm. it looked like that's what they were attempting to do with the forced perception, the fourth depth perception and whatnot. I absolutely loved that game. Uh, anybody have any memories of that game, or do you guys want to continue to talk oh, about yeah. Dungeons & Dragons? No, no, no. That's... <laughs> I don't um, care. Yeah, no, this is a great game. Um, and this is one of the very first, if not one of the first, yeah, one of the first games that I remember that was like a 3D perspective. Um, it was force 3D, right? But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it, it kind of broke that ground. Uh, I can't even. I'm trying to really think if there was anything prior to that that gave us that perspective. Um, and I can't. Nothing comes to mind right now. But um, no, yeah, there then, were there were a lot that came after, but I sure. don't remember a lot that were that were before any. To be honest, the the first kind of uh, I guess sneak peek at those kind of graphics though wasn't it uh star wars wouldn't would, like the uh, on the millennium falcon when they're where luke and han are shooting when they're escaping the death star yes no with uh what's well, like that like the 80s i don't know when i think of 80s graphics that's what i think of is battle zone and and oh uh, yeah you're talking about star wars from 1983 Oh no, that's on. That's later on in my list. That's later. That's, that's on my down, list too. Down, yeah. Okay. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Right. All right. Uh, number nine, Albert. Number nine. What's your number nine? Number nine is Tempest. So released by Atari, nineteen eighty one. Uh, developed by David Thurer. Um, you know, you played this little blaster crab looking claw thing that would go around shooting different you know enemies as they came down this tunnel. Um, but I had this down on there because one, it, the the use of the vector graphics was just you know really kind of cutting edge, very similar to kind of like what we saw with like Battlezone and some of the other games that were, that were coming out at the time. Um, but yeah, this was a game that you would, I, it was unique in the, the little controller that was built into the arcade cabinet that was, you know, different at the time. Um, but fond memories of just pumping quarters into smoky arcades back in 1981 as a kid, um, sucking all that cancer up <laughs> and really enjoying this game. So like that's like we we've been talking about this. I'm going to pimp your Discord here now on the basement. Like we were talking about this today, how arcades are kind of a lost thing, and we all kind of miss that and holding your place with a quarter and calling your shots and that kind of stuff. And yeah. and uh, uh, Joe, who's in both uh, the Cantina Cast Discord and, and the Basement Discord, pointed out that there's a, a a neon. What's the name of it? I even forget. He brought it up on an episode of the Basement as well. Uh, but there's a um, uh, a VR uh, retro arcade neon. Yep. Uh, that you can actually download uh, on Steam. You can purchase on Steam, and like that thing looks amazing. Where you can go in and there's these cabinets and whatnot. Like I just think that that's a lost thing, and I know that there's still some out there, 
And that was part of the topic of conversation today on the basement, that there's still some out there that you can go and you can pay, play by, uh, pay for the hour or pay for the day. And then like all the games are free and whatnot. But uh, I, I miss that. And I know that, I mean, to be honest, Atari is to blame for that because they, you know, with the home console and, and then Nintendo coming on. I mean, I, I, I just, you're right. Like, <laughs> did you get the talk from your mom too, when you could go in there, like, Stay away oh, yeah. from the stay away from the creep. Stay away from the people who are smoking, chain smoking. Stay away from. Yep. Don't know. touch a cigarette. At the ashtrays that are sitting there at every yeah. single game. At every single game. That yeah, that's right. I mean, we had yeah. cocktail tail cocktail cocktail tables uh, that oh, were games man. right in the eighties, and that was so that you could put your cigarette down and put your martini down while you were playing, or put your beer down. Put your beard uh, down. I friend. remember the first one of those I ever saw was at a bowling alley. My dad used to be part of a bowling league back when he was probably younger than I am now. And yep. he took us to the bowling alley, my brother and I, and he gave us a roll of quarters. And he said, don't move from this table. And I think it was like Galaga or something that we sat there and we played for, I don't know, two hours while he was bowling away. So people were pissed because that, that was the only cocktail gaming table there. And yeah, and you can you can talk about the lack of complexity in a lot of the early games, but if you think about it, those are the games that you could play with your left hand, move the controller around, hold your beer in your right hand with your cigarette in your mouth, right? So that was all by design. Yeah, you can't you, you can't do that today. I'll tell you what, nope. you need both hands and both eyes and both ears and sometimes an extra set of hands. Uh, where are we at? Nine. Garrick, what's your number nine? Number nine, coming in as my oldest game. Released 1992 from id Software is Wolfenstein 3D. You are such a freaking millennial. Whatever, dude. I'm just saying. Love this game. I still have my floppies for this game, if you know what I'm saying. I, I do. I, I do know what you're saying. Because not everyone knows what floppy disks no, are anymore. No, no. I, I lived the floppy disk era, my friend. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love this game. This is one of the first games I ever played. Um, this and Oregon Trail. Good times. But uh, oh, Oregon Trail did not make the list. No, that should have um, made somebody's list. Did anybody? Have, did Albert? Did you have it? Nope. I was oh. that. Yep. Yeah, sorry, you've died of dysentery. Right. <laughs> yep. Exactly. No, I, I I absolutely loved these games, and Wolfenstein 3D was just ah, uh, it was gorgeous, and the the way it did the shooting is good. All right. Good well, times. There you go. Atum. Uh, number nine for me is the Daytona USA arcade game put out by uh, Sega Model 2 uh, in uh, 1993, 94, somewhere around there. Anybody remember that game? You got you. I, they're still out there. Like if you go oh, yeah. to a certain place, like you can sit down in the in the cockpit uh, and, and, and drive around. There's like four to eight somewhere in between there. Uh, different, you know, you know uh, arcade cabinets. I guess for the lack of a better term that the, the cockpits all, you know, stuck together and, 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 uh, networked together. So you're all playing on the same. I, I loved that. I thought that was a great concept back in the, in, in the, in the mid to early nineties. And I spent, I used to work at a Montgomery wards, uh, in, in the early nineties in high school. And I remember when the mall got a revamp and they had, they put this huge gaming arcade, because they got rid of the the actual arcade, which was the, the Aladdin's castle that was in the mall because everybody said, you know, pedophiles and chain smokers hung out there or something. So yeah. they put it in the middle of the mall, right in the middle of the food court, this massive food court that they built. And they had all kinds of crap that's not there anymore. And in fact, I think most of it's torn down. 
Uh, but I, I spent mad lunch hours just there playing that repeatedly. I probably, I probably dumped thousand dollars into the machine there. Anybody else play this or is it like, am I the only one who, who loved it? No. Yeah. I absolutely played it. There's a, a barcade here in town that still has a couple of those, um, old school arcade cabinets that you can, you know, hop into the seat of. Uh, I, I love this game. This is one of my first arcade racing games. I remember playing. Yep. I would agree. Um, and the home, like even like the, the ports, right. For the home consoles and stuff that was, uh, for me, still a lot of fun to do. It was, but it, man, I don't know. I, I, I just didn't think it translated well because it was more about the experience than it was the game. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. That's fair. I, I mean, I mean, we talk, I, I, I make fun of, soccer for being a boring sport but i mean if you can call nascar sport it's just one long left-hand turn the most watched sport in america yeah uh, look there's no accounting for taste uh number eight albert what do you got number eight is game released in 1987 released by konami uh developed by koji hiroshita so contra uh and this is contra the arcade game which is a little different than the nes version that most people probably play no love to death um, and I think we talked about this one on the basement, if I'm not mistaken. I don't Crowley, if you were in that yes. one or not. Yeah, you were. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, this one came in for me because it was just one of those games where, you know, you had uh, two players. I mean, there was really nothing really that innovative about the game. It had some cool features like being able to kind of jump down. If you pull down and jump, you could kind of go between the different platforms. And uh, you had a couple of different uh, perspectives depending on what level you were playing, right? And you had different kind of shooters. But there was really nothing groundbreaking about this game, but it was just a very solid, very fun game, very addictive game, and one that you could continually put quarters in to get to the end. So you were kind of, you know, awarded for coming to the arcade with about $100 in your pocket <laughs> uh, and finishing this game because that's really what it took because it, it was the difficulty was a little bit, was ramped up a little bit in the arcade version um, than we, what we got in the NES one. Um, but yeah, it was just, it's just one of those great games that I, I really enjoyed playing, especially if you had somebody that, you know, you could trust to play with you. It was great. Right. Yep. This is my number eight as well. So I'll just jump in front of Garrick. What? This is, That's fine. Right? Go for it. This is this, I love this game both at the arcade and at home. And I think that the, it's just to kind of touch on what you said is that it's the two player aspect. If you had somebody you could trust, like you could just really just plow through this game. So I think that's why it has a lot of fond memories for a lot of people, because you're right. The gameplay is kind of lackluster. It doesn't do anything innovative. There's nothing new or special about it. The bosses are the same kind of bosses in these types of games of that era. So it wasn't anything, you know, really grand or fantastic about it. But like just the the two player, the two player campaigns, man, that's where it was at. That That's that is. It. And you could jump in like if your buddy doesn't show up to the arcade. Like he was just able to jump in, like so. It was it was a good time. Number eight, uh, Contra, and it's better than what Garrick has for number eight. Garrick, what's your number eight? My number eight, <sighs> produced, no. published by Konami, yeah. designed by Koji Igarashi. Oh, come on, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Enough of the came out in nineteen ninety seven. Castlevania Symphony of the Night on PlayStation game. One. What an awful what do you mean? game. This was my favorite Castlevania. I grew up with an NES and SNES and a Sega Master System for some reason. And <laughs> Sega Master for some reason. Hey, they had a good, good uh, port of Rastan, so. If you say so. <laughs> <laughs> 
the uh yeah so i've played castlevania and metroid before but this was the one that really clicked for me i absolutely loved this castlevania to this day still stands as my favorite castlevania game of all time um and igarashi is actually working on a new castlevania like game yeah, i can't wait for that this. to come out yeah and you're you're a millennial uh albert Number seven. Yes, I am. What's wrong with that? You hired me. I didn't. You're getting paid what I'm getting paid, sir. Exactly. <laughs> Albert, what's your number seven? Number seven, I have from 1982, Tron. <laughs> so, uh, Castlevania is Tra- starting to look pretty good yep, right about yep. now. <laughs> so I know this one's right out in your real house here, uh, yeah. Crowley. But yeah, no, so Tron was, is, is my number seven. So honestly, this game... Um, was all about merchandising for me, right? It was is the marketing, the brand recognition. It, I loved the movie when it came out uh, as a kid, and here we go. We've got this nice, shiny neo looking uh, or neon looking cabinet with a very fluorescent blue controller. I mean, it was attracted to the cabinet initially, and then the game itself, right? It's really okay. It's not that great, but. Um, you got to play the light cycles and you got to be in the middle of the CPU and you got to play as Tron and you got all the music right from the movie, um, which I, which I like, we won't get into this cause we talked about this in the basement, but, um, yeah, it was, it was killer music, uh, the killer cabinet and the controllers and, and the way you got to play the tanks and all of that. All, it was just, I don't know. Good, good times. I put, I, I put a lot of time and money into this thing. I will concede, sir that those controllers were cool. And, uh, like I was young enough that I didn't care about the gameplay or any of that kind of stuff. It was that, it was that joystick, the way it looked on that cabinet that sucked yeah. me in. And I would dump quarters into that awful, terrible game. And I would walk away going, man, I really wish I had that quarterback because I want to play something that's not terrible. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I've actually recently played this um, at a barcade and it, it does not hold up. I mean, it was never good to begin with, but it's it's just gotten worse with the years. Well, if you're going to cover Tron on the basement, don't have Garrick on. Uh, yeah, Garrick, what's, yeah, what's your number seven? My number seven came out in 2004. This is actually the most recent game on my oh, list. By Capcom for the PS2 is Monster Hunter. Okay, This was the first game I ever had that was just bang my head against a wall difficult. I could not figure this game out for the longest time. How does that make a top 10 list for you? This was Dark Souls before Dark Souls was the thing. Are you a masochist? This was a beautiful RPG with a deep crafting system and gorgeous graphics, great monsters, perfect animation at the time, and I could not could not progress through i don't know how long i played this game i put hundreds of hours into this game and i never got further than maybe like 15 missions in i did not get very far. you know it's funny that your number seven is very frustrating for you because my number seven was very frustrating for everybody uh dragon's lair oh god like albert the, the original yeah the original from the arcade dragon's lair come on man that yeah, was no, innovative I, for the time, wasn't it? Well, and so I debated about whether or not to include that one. And the only reason I didn't was because I didn't know. Uh, it just felt like at times you were, you were watching a movie, which I think was the point of the game, right? But yeah, um, it, and it, a lot of it was just memory and, and repetition, that kind of thing. So I didn't include it only because 
I didn't know. I was really trying to stick to like the you know the traditional game, so to speak. But it, to be honest, that and Space Ace were games that yeah, I put a crap ton of money into these things, and they weren't cheap. This is one of the first games that I recall as a kid that was fifty cents. It wasn't yep. one quarter; it was two quarters. And you're like, whoa, right? Because everything else up until that was only one quarter to play. And this is this is kind of like the granddaddy of Detroit Become Human type games, where it's the story is the star, not the gameplay. So I I really liked it. I liked it as a kid because it 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 had elements of cartoon, and then the set pieces looked real. Like it, it was like this whole art direction they were going. I absolutely loved it. So that it stuck out in my mind. I dumped a ton of money into that game every time I saw it. So Dragon's Lair, number seven for me. And I don't care who made it, and I don't care when it came out. Well, you got to mention Don Bluth, because he's the guy that was actually the, 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 was the cartoonist, the animator for it, and he had done Disney work and all of that. So that's why it's got that Disney look. And if you think about it at the time, that was one of the, the pulls for a lot of people. When you saw that, it looks like it's a Disney cartoon, and, and for good reason, because this gentleman was behind a lot of the, uh, all of the art, really. Yeah, and it, it did. For the, even for the, it still holds up today. Like it looks like a cartoon. It doesn't look like a pixelated game. It's a freaking cartoon. And you're just it's just quick time events. So I think it holds up today quite well. It's still challenging. Uh I, I like it. Garrick, have you ever played Dragon's Lair just out of morbid curiosity? Yeah, no, I, I played it um back in the day I was going through uh not like games, but like Mist and things like that. Mist. Um those kind of adventure games. And this appealed to me when I was that young just because of its cartoony nature. It definitely looks like it's a, a Disney cartoon and that you're getting to play it, which is awesome. Um, I never got very far in it, uh, but I did revisit it a few years back when they actually made the... Uh, no, I'm thinking King's Quest. Good Lord. <laughs> So we're going down that rabbit hole for no reason. Oh, wow. Good yep. God. Nope. Never played Dragon's Lair. Well, here, let me save you because if we hadn't if we had not had Dragon's Lair, we wouldn't have had the blockbusters known as Sewer Shark and Night and Night Step. So <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Dog meat. All right. Uh, number six. Yeah, sorry. Number six, Albert. What do you got? Number six, I've got Galaga. 1981, released by Namco in Japan, midway here in the US. Um, and this was, this was, it's going to get really tough from here, uh, for me from here on out because any one of these could be my top one kind of favorite. Uh, and I should have prefaced this. I try to stay within the eighties cause that's my sweet spot with arcade games. Uh, I don't think I have anything over 85 or 86. I think Contra was the highest one on there, but so anyways, um, so Galaga, Galaga was the sequel to, um, uh, what was it? Galaxian. Right, mm-hmm. and and it introduced a couple of uh, gaming concepts that we I won't say we take for granted, but they've been expanded upon. Um, not only right after this game came out, but we kind of see them in other shooters and that kind of thing. But really, being able to fire more than once, uh, which is a big deal if you think about it. Back with Galaxian, you could fire once. You had to wait for the pixel to leave the screen before you could fire again, or before you had to wait for it to hit something before you could fire again. This one allowed you to fire multiple times. Um, there was a little bit of strategy that was introduced in this game. Uh, given that, you know, there was moments where you had to think about whether or not you could sacrifice a ship and allow it to be captured by the boss Galaga, and then you could get it back, and that kind of gave you the two ships, if you guys remember that uh, aspect of the game. Um, It had introduced the challenging stages, it introduced stuff like statistics, which was kind of mind-blowing, like, wow, really, you're going to tell me 
how much I sucked on that level. Thanks. Appreciate that. Um, and then more than anything, it was one of these, it was one of the games that I remember was featured in some of my favorite movies of the eighties, like war games, right? We see that in the opening scene of war games. Uh, we also saw it in the, in the karate kid. And then most recently, I think we saw it in the Avengers movie, um, where he's that man's playing Galaga, right? So it's got its place in pop culture as well. So anyways, that's, yeah, that's no, my, that's, uh, number that's a, that's a solid pick. Uh, that almost made my list to be honest. That almost made my list because anytime you saw Galaga, at least for me, I was always like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go play this for a while because you could get a good solid 15, 20 minutes off one quarter if you didn't. Absolutely. If you weren't terrible. Uh, Garrick, what's your number six? I already see it, and I'm sorry I asked. (laughs) So I also played Galaga a lot back in the day. It was one of my favorite uh, arcade games to play at a pizza shop. Um, But my number six, released in 2002 on the PC, by Square Enix at the time? Or was it Squaresoft? It was Square. With Final <laughs> Fantasy XI, the first MMO. Oh, good God. The first Final Fantasy MMO. God, I love this game. How I couldn't even tell you why. A it's a, it's a bad MMO. It's not good. I played this game for three or four years. Yeah. I made lots of friends. Mm-hmm. It's not a good MMO. It doesn't hold up. It No, it doesn't at all. I don't, but I don't know how this I, made a top 10 list. Uh, I have a special place for it in my heart. I absolutely love right. this game. Um, so much so that uh, I revisited it when I was in college. And my girlfriend at the time got upset because I wasn't paying attention to her. And I broke <laughs> up with her so I could play more Final Fantasy XI. I was t- playing Final Fantasy XI when I met my wife. That's how long nice. ago... I've been playing. Yep. So, yeah, I've, I I would fall asleep playing this game. I'd come home from a long day of work. I'd play this game for two or three hours, and I'd be out. Like, we'd be going to do something, and I'd like they'd be like, oh, Crowley's asleep because this chocobo is just running against the side of a wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. I played this I one, too. I, I played I for about a year. Wait, seriously? You played Final Fantasy XI? I did, and I didn't play very long. I didn't play much. Like, it, I had it. It was there, and... I don't remember what I was playing um, religiously at the time. There was something else that was competing with my time here, and it really wasn't much of a competition. But I really picked it up only because it was a Final Fantasy title, and I really wanted to see what they were going to be able to do in the MMO space because prior to this, they really hadn't done that. Um, and, yeah, I quickly bowed out. I wasn't really that interested in it, to be honest. After I, I put it. a ton of hours into it. Like I said, three or four years. It, I, I enjoyed the people that I played with. Um, it was it was, a, it was a fun time. It just, again, I think this is what got me hooked into the whole gaming is a social thing and not just for games. So, kudos. I think I was doing Dark Age. Sorry, that just hit me. Dark Age of Camelot. Well, there you go. You know what? I've heard that was a really good game. Oh, I, I've heard the same. Oh, I just couldn't it. play it. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, my number six is Tecmo Super Bowl. I mean, come on now. Everybody played this, right? Everybody played yep. this. NES. Great game. Yep. Great game. I mean, I, I don't really think I have to talk about that very much. Uh, five, Albert, what do you got? Sunapede, 1981, released by Atari. Um, another one of those games that you you saw it, you knew what it was, you heard it, you knew what it was. And it was another game, like you said, where you could put 25 cents in. If you were okay, you could probably get 15 minutes into this game um, and get your money's worth. So, um, yeah, it had the trackball, which was kind of, you know, well, I want to say it was the first one. There was, I think there was at least one or two titles prior to that had a trackball, but 
definitely one of the first ones that was successful to have a trackball uh, embedded in the game itself. Um, interesting enough, this game was really released. Um, so Ed Long and, and Donna Bailey, when they created this game, they had women gamers in mind, um, much like Pac-Man um, did when they were creating that game. But they really were, were looking for a way to kind of get more female gamers in there. Um, I don't know if that's why it was appealing to me, uh, to be honest, one way or the other. But uh, it was one of the games, when you look back at at least that golden age of arcade gaming, if you look at the two games that stood out that had that attracted female game players and, and who didn't want that, right? Who didn't want more quarters being pumped into their games? It was this one, Centipede, and it was Pac-Man. So mission accomplished on that front. I hated Centipede, but that's only because I sucked at it. I couldn't use that trackball for crap. I was like, I was not, I was not coordinated enough as a child. And it stresses you out too, right? Because it's like, Ugh. like Space Invaders, right? As you get, the, the better you are, the faster those things come at you. And with Centipede, if you started nailing that Centipede down, when you got to one or two or three little links back in, the, in that thing, it got really fast. So, um, yeah, it was a little bit stressful at times too. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that's probably why I have anxiety as an adult. I'm going to blame Centipede. Uh, it makes sense. Have you played Centipede, Garrett? Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I used to play all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I was never very good at it either. I really don't like that game. Same reason. It's very anxiety-inducing. Hey, speaking of games I don't like, what's your number five, Garrick? My number five, released in 1998 for the Game Boy by Game oh, Freak. God, God Pokemon Red and Blue. Just shoot me Specifically now. Blue. Just shoot me. I don't even know. Okay. I'll take over this podcast. That's fine. Welcome to Bad... No, never mind. I'm done. Bad Pokemon uh, Gamers Anonymous. Good yes. Poop. Wait, wait, wait. Um, Before you start talking about the virtues of Pokemon uh, Red, Blue, Green, nobody gives a crap. Albert, did you ever play any Pokemon games? No. Albert, I think you and I just became best friends. <laughs> I played Pokemon Go with much of the world. Uh, last year, when the first two weeks it came out, but, the first two um, weeks, and then kind of went, yeah. yeah, this is dumb. Yep. I'm not playing. Uh, it I'm anymore. not doing this. <laughs> I've wasted yeah. so much gas driving around trying to pick up pokeballs. <laughs> right, <laughs> not worth no, it. No, Albert, you and I, we're we're now best friends. Uh, congratulations, um, Garrett. Go ahead and talk about your po- stupid game. Pokemon Go was quite the phenomenon when it came out. It was ridiculous. It was the happiest moment in it. mankind that I can re- recall in my lifetime. <laughs> it- <laughs> I mean, yeah, I believe it. Um, I I love Pokemon Red and Blue. This was uh, came out at a time when I was kind of just getting into, um, really just getting into RPGs. Crappy I hadn't games. discovered Baldur's Gate yet, um, and so I I liked the the RPG mechanics of it. I liked having all these little creatures that could fight and I could level them up. Um, it was, I don't know, it was enjoyable. And the, the Pokedex having uh, 150 little guys to try to collect, um, you know, kind of appealed to the co- completionist to my eight-year-old heart. So, I, journey, I don't know. The game journey is infinitely better than anything Pokemon has put Ooh, out. careful. I careful. doubt that. <laughs> one of one of those franchises has sold a whole bunch. The other one, not so much. Oh uh, yeah, but they've sold a lot of records. They have sold a lot of. I was just gonna say, sure. Yeah. How many records has Pokemon sold? Exactly. I don't know. None. The answer is none. I'm sure they've sold some. I, there has got to be some Pokemon vinyls out there. <sighs> Number five for me. Uh, it, another game that is infinitely better than anything Pokemon is Pac-Man. I mean, this is the classic, right? This this could be or probably should be number one on many lists around the world. 
this was a phenomenon in and of itself. I mean, you talk about Pokemon being a phenomenon. Pac-Man was the phenomenon of the 80s. I, Albert, would you agree? I would agree, and I will tell you that it is further down my list. Um, it could be number one on my list. Okay, there you go. Well, th- then we'll leave it. We'll let you talk about Pac-Man when it comes to you, because uh, I I honestly debated about putting this number one just because of it, the impact it had on gaming and humanity as a whole. Exactly. Yep. I'm I'm going to disagree and say Tetris. <sighs> Is it on your list? Is Tetris on your list? No, but it, I, I'm going to say that it was it was a bigger thing in the 80s. No, good God, uh, I love it. I love it. I, Tetris was much more of a phenomenon than Ms. Pac-Man. You, I didn't say Ms. Or Pac-Man, Pac-Man, did I? Or Pac-Man, I Pac-Man. Pac-Man. either one. You know what? Go, you go play with your Pokeballs. Number four, oh, <laughs> Albert, what do you got? All right, number four, I have uh, 1981's Donkey Kong. So this is by the master himself, Miyamoto-san, uh, released by Nintendo. Um, and just I, real quickly, a couple. There's uh, this is one of the ones where again, where it could be a number one for me, uh, just because there was so much here. Uh, especially when you think about you take this game in perspective of of where we were at that time in '81. Uh, it introduced things like storylines, right? We had this is one of the very first times that we actually had a storyline, much like Pac-Man. Um, uh, at that time, uh, this is the first appearance that we got of Mr. Video, aka Jumpman, aka Mario. Prior to this, we had never really seen this guy before. Uh, it was it kind of gave us this whole concept of a damsel in distress that we see in you know obviously in all the Mario games that we see it in just about everything at this point. Um, and you know as far as uh, I guess the other thing that really stuck out for me uh, the inspiration uh, where this game came from was originally from Popeye. It, a lot of think people think it's from the King Kong series and and all of that, and it really wasn't. It was. Miyamoto really was a big fan of Popeye, and you know if you think about it, there are a lot of similarities between Donkey Kong and Bluto. Mario is Popeye, and uh, Lady, who is also Pauline, uh, is Olive Oil. So, yeah, I mean, it, it just was the it was a and the other thing that was introduced in this was this level of uh, or sorry, this concept of levels, right? You had the first level that changed. You went up the you went up the ladder a little bit higher. The second level was different. The third level was higher, different. We never really had that prior to this game, so it broke a lot of new ground in terms of game concepts. It just had a lot of great uh, graphics. It had a lot of great gameplay, uh, and even the music, just on top of it, were all kind of just cherries. So, great game. Yeah, no, I don't. I I absolutely agree with everything you just said. Again, I think we're best friends. Uh, for Garrick, what do you got? Number four, released in nineteen ninety nine on the PC by Sony Online Entertainment, was EverQuest. My first ever MMO. Didn't people die playing this? I'm sure they did. Yes. This was the the first WoW before WoW was a thing. Yeah. Now, a lot of people lead credence to like Ultima being a better game or having more influence on MMOs as a whole, but I never played it, so I don't know about that aspect. But EverQuest is what got me into MMOs. Without it, I would never have played Final Fantasy XI. I would never have played Final Fantasy fourteen, and I would never have met you, Crowley. And so, then you would have never been on this podcast. Exactly. Well, so then, lend a little credence to EverQuest. Credence. Will you stop with the credit? Oh, my God. <laughs> Almighty. I curse EverQuest uh, and the day that it I was ever created. Game. Uh, number four for me is Star Wars, uh, the arcade game, that game, like I would wait, I would wait and I would make my parents wait if there were, cause there's always a line to play this game at Aladdin's castle or at showbiz pizza or whatever arcade I happened to be at. There was always a line. 
because this was the game to play. And so I would make my parents wait. I'd be like, no, no, my quarter's up there. I'm not leaving until I at least get to play. And I've made it. I love that game. I absolutely loved it. Uh, I don't think I ever beat it, but I absolutely love playing it. Uh, Albert, what kind of memories does Star Wars the arcade game hold for you? Uh, pretty fond memories, and so much that I'll just kind of segue into my number three game, because guess what? Number three is Star Wars. So, um, yeah, this is 1983, right? We're, you know, six years after the release of, um, you know, A New Hope, or Star Wars as we knew it back then. And this is one of those games that, like you said, there was always a line. Uh, the cabinet was killer, right? You either had, if, if, if you were lucky enough to get in the, the sit-down one, you had great speakers that were right behind your head. Uh, a cool graphic design on the side of it. It was super dark. It was super loud. You had the X-Wing uh, controls in front of you. Um, so not only on top of all that, but you had the John Williams music coming through. It was one of the first games that had it introduced voices, right? So you got to hear, you played as Luke. So you got to hear the Red Five standing by, and then you also got, you know, use the Force Luke. You got Obi-Wan Kenobi. You got the all clear clay, then explosive thing, go home. All that stuff, it like threw you right in there. On top of that, you had great graphics and vector graphics in all of this. Um, and I think I talked about the music already. So it was just an experience, right? It was one of those first games that really was an experience. Um, it wasn't a very difficult game to play, at least the first three runs. Um, or the, Yeah, the first three runs weren't that difficult. And it really wasn't until you got to like the second or third level or, th or third reset that things got a little you know hairy and, and yep. you'd start you know losing your quarters. But... It was very. It was a game that anyone could just kind of jump in and be mildly successful, um, and that's why it was so successful, right? A lot of people were playing this game, uh, not only based on the fact that it was Star Wars, but just it was, you could pick it up and play and be, you know, pretty good at it for at least the first three levels, like I said. And I think that when you're marketing a game for a movie, and I think a lot of this has been lost since then, but you want people to be successful at it. You want them to have that experience that they're in the movie. And I think this was one of the first arcade games that really did that, that bridged these two mediums together. And, and we see how that's evolved since then. This game honestly could have been in my top three as well, because it's just so freaking good. Yeah. And there were, they did release a upgrade to this cabinet. So, and it was, Here's where they kind of cut their own throats on it, but they released the Empire Strikes Back, and I want to say it was like in '84, '85. They released that arcade uh, upgrade, upgrade, and so it would give you Empire Strikes Back, so you could see the adats and you'd shoot those and that kind of thing. But you had to basically uh, reprogram the whole cabinet, and a lot of the arcade uh, arcades at the time didn't want to do that because this this game was still selling, right? Um, so why why break a, a, a you know a good thing? Um, so really, it was it's very rare that you find the Empire Strikes Back upgrade in it. And, and really, there was a they had some upgrade to the graphics, and you were flying around a snow speeder and that kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, there was there was definitely an upgrade that was there. Um, so I, and I personally, I've never seen the Empire Strikes Back arcade version of it. Um, I don't think I have either. Yeah, there's video out there you can watch of it, but it was one of those things that you heard about it when it, when it came out. I know I heard about it, and I know people were talking about it, just never saw it. Kind of like the Abominable Snowman. Right. <laughs> well, and I know we've done a show on this before, but there's so many good Star Wars games. Uh, probably as many as there are bad Star Wars games out there. But this one is the granddaddy of them all, and I think it set the bar pretty high, especially considering when it came out. You know. Right. So, uh, Garrick, what's your number three? My number three came out in 1998 on the N64 Published by Nintendo, 
The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Now, I grew up playing I've got nothing the bad to say about Zelda. this. I, I really don't. There you go. This, this, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just wanted <laughs> to be fine. sure that everybody, I was very clear that I have nothing. This should have been and probably could have been on my on, on my top 10 list, but it didn't make it. There's just so many good games. But like, can we just, can I just say the Nintendo 64 is probably the best console ever made, hands down? Mm, no. Ooh. Really? I don't. I don't know if I agree with you, but they have, I think, pound for pound in terms of the the games. And you look at the library; they've got a lot of ace titles on there for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Goldeneye, uh, Superman sixty four. Superman sixty four is one of the worst games ever made. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, the first Super Smash Brothers. Yeah, yeah. N sixty four is a great console. Ocarina of Not Time, the best. Great game. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Ocarina of Time. I grew up playing the original Zelda. Um, like I said, I grew up with an NES and SNES, so. I played all the Zeldas beforehand, um, but it wasn't until I played Ocarina of Time that I actually beat one, and so for that reason alone, <laughs> it is my favorite. Um, I absolutely love this game, and then when Majora's Mask came out a few years later, I remember begging my mom to get the stupid expansion port for the memory um, so that I could actually play Majora's Mask, but yeah, this is what really started me on the path of loving Zelda. There you go. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Zelda, my number three is uh, Super Mario Brothers. I mean, like what? Super Mario Brothers. Okay. What do you mean? Okay. Just speaking of Zelda. Yeah, because it came out on the NES. Like Zelda, okay. Legend of Zelda. You know what? If you can't get the segue, I, I can't. I can't help you. There's no help for that. Uh, Super Mario Brothers. You could have just said speaking of Nintendo. I could have, but I didn't. Now, now my whole thing—it's ruined. You've ruined it. Super Mario number three. It, you know, it's a good game. <laughs> That's all I've got. Is you okay? Absolutely. Well, come on. This is what this is what sparked everybody wanting to go out and get a console, wasn't it? Was Super Mario Brothers? Everybody wanted to go save the princess. Everybody wanted to beat Bowser. Everybody wanted to get to the castle. Everybody wanted to get, you know, find all of the Easter eggs. Like this was for me in I think it was fifth or sixth grade. This was the game where that I was like. I want a, I want a Nintendo. Like mom and dad get me a Nintendo, and they never they, they yeah. didn't until I was like in the seventh grade. So, uh, this this game definitely holds a special place in my heart, um, mostly because its initial release date was on my birthday. So I really appreciate that. But uh, yeah, I I've played so much of this game with my brother back in the day. I think this was actually the this probably the very first game I ever played. I'm sure this was what I played with him. Um, so, yeah, it, it definitely started a revolution in gaming. It, it did. Albert, uh, what what are your experiences with either Ocarina of Time or, or Super Mario Brothers? Or both? Uh, Ocarina of Time is an <clears throat> amazing game. Um, it's my second favorite Zelda game. I think Link to the Past is my favorite. Uh, I did beat both. Nice. Um, but <laughs> the uh, the going back to Mario Brothers, so, uh, okay, let's just segue because I cheated. So I, I remember I, I prefaced this and said that, or sort of halfway through, I said that I try to stick to arcade games. My number two arcade game was actually versus Super Mario Brothers. So this came out in 1986. It was the arcade version that was released of Super Mario Brothers. Um, and really, it was, for the most part, pretty much the same game. Uh, well, first off, did you guys ever play the arcade version of this? I don't I, did I don't ever remember seeing the arcade mm. version. 
So yeah. so they did release this for the arcade. Uh, it wasn't. It was a very limited run. There were two in at least in the area that I lived in for whatever reason. Uh, one was at a Seven Eleven, and the other one was at Aladdin's Castle. Seven Eleven um, had arcade games. What? Yeah. They, what oh kind yeah. Of, you, what kind of no, awesome Seven no, no. Eleven did you have? You guys didn't have arcade games at the grocery store or at the uh, corner stores? No. Not that I remember. The corner oh, wow. store that I had was r- literally, I, you walked up a hill from my house. I, we lived in a, you know, it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't like a high end neighborhood, but it was, it was a moderately, you know, affluent neighborhood. So you'd walk up the hill and there was a store, it was called Sight. It was a Sight store, S-I-T-E. And the only thing of note there was the woman behind the counter my dad would flirt with. That's where I rented all of the movies. Uh, that I would would watch repeatedly, like um, uh, oh, is this where you got your VCR? That you yeah, no, he'd rent. Uh, no, that was from because they didn't have the VCR because this is just the corner store. I we had to go to a uh, a small mom and pop store on the other side of town to get nice. that. Uh, but this this had uh, like this is where I rented the Explorers and uh, Can't Buy Me Love and just a ton of just terrible awesome eighty movies. Uh, every Friday, and we rent the same three or four movies repeatedly. It drove my dad nuts. Uh, and then, like before, we would go to school in the morning. We, my mom would be like, "If you kids don't want to eat the crap cereal that I bought, go buy donuts up at the up at the store." So we'd walk to the store, get donuts, and come back, eat the donuts, and go to school. That's crazy. Yeah, there. Um, uh, the all the most of the gas stations, um, where I grew up had arcade games in them. Now they don't have one or two. Um, and this particular one had this versus Mario Brothers, and then right next to it was Akari Warriors. So this is where, uh, and Akari Warriors almost made my list, to be honest. But it's a good anyways, game. Anyways, yeah, it's a great game. Um, but getting back to versus, so this was their version of it for the arcade. And what they did is they basically took all of the levels and they changed them up very slightly. So a lot of the platforms that you would jump on were shortened, so they were a little bit smaller. Um, the timing was adjusted a little bit. Uh, a lot of the secret one-ups and stuff like that were all ripped out, so it was harder to get lives. Uh, it's it's a very, very cruel game because you would have this muscle memory of playing the NES version, and then you'd go into the arcade, expect certain things to be there or to happen, I can and see that. it just didn't happen, yeah. right? So uh, so I did kind of cheat in, in picking this game because really, if you think about it, Mario Brothers is one of the first games that it kind of gave us this iterative uh, like compilation or, or approach to to learning the game, it starts off very basic. You learn a couple things, and then they grow, they build upon that. Every level introduces a new game mechanic or a new gameplay, a, a way of playing, and, and it all kind of just builds and, and culminates into the final levels, right? Um, but we also had like the minus worlds, right? This is uh, the Easter eggs. I don't you didn't really I don't think you mentioned that, but that was a big thing. Warp zones, yeah. um, the music uh, by Kondosan. I mean that's. That music is, you know, being played. It's in symphony symphonies now. It's so well known, um, and it also, you know, it gave us Mario right again. So this is his first uh, big one. Mario Brothers came out right. Yeah, that that game kind of stunk for me personally. But Super Mario Brothers was one of the first games that you know he really shined as the character that we all kind of know and love him today. Yeah, it kind of spawned. I don't remember. Like we t- we're, we're talking about retro games, right? We're talking about Centipede, Galaga is your Final Fantasy Eleven somehow. We're talking about all these games, but none of them, none of them, really have spawned anything like what Mario spawned. Like, yeah, Pac Man was big in the eighties, but then the nineties hit, and Pac Man kind of went away. Yeah. But Mario, 
Mario's been here for 30 plus years and he's not going anywhere anytime soon. So yeah, I, I, I agree. This is, I so, mean, it's one of those seminal moments I mean, in, in gaming history. So let me, he's add. no longer a plumber. He is a plumber. Actually. They, they brought that back. They said he is, he has uh, a plumbing license again. Oh, well, <laughs> that's great. Doesn't have anything out in, on Angie's list against them. No, 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 nothing on Angie's list, but still a plumber. The, um, so just the last thing I have on, uh, at least for my notes on this one, and and you guys are Nintendo Switch fans or owners, sorry. Uh, <laughs> there's something called Arcade Archives. I don't know what this is. Yes. So an Ar- Neo Geo. Okay, so an archive, Arcade Archives, whatever this is, this version is available. Um, it caught my eye because I'm thinking, okay, maybe I need to get a Switch now because I'd like to play this version again, just to, you know, you know, to really kind of split my wrist kind of thing, but. <laughs> right? uh, it's out there. It's out there if you guys want to try it. I don't know what that costs or what that is. Uh, we may have to cover that uh, next week, Garrett, because I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah, for sure. It's also available on uh, PS4 as well and Xbox One and Windows for the arcade archives. Huh. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, what's your number two? I see what your number two is, and I'd make fun of it if I knew what it was. <laughs> so my number two came out in 2000 on PlayStation 1, developed by SCE Japan Studio. While everyone else was playing their Final Fantasies, I was playing Legend of Dragoon. This game is, in my opinion, the best Japanese RPG on the PlayStation 1. Just putting it out there. I I kind of went reverse with Final Fantasy on the PlayStation. I played 8, and then 7, and then 6, and then... One and two, because they were on there for some reason. Um, And this game came out in June of 2000. And because of it, I did not play Final Fantasy IX, which came out in July of 2000, which is actually one of the best rated Final Fantasies of all time. But I love Legend of Dragoon. It is one of my favorite, favorite RPGs ever. Albert, you ever heard of this game? Um, So I was selling video. So this is, I, I mentioned I was in a, the video game industry at the time. This is one of the games that we were selling. Um, we didn't sell very many of these games, and I'm not. That's not a knock, honestly, because uh, you. No, I'm. I'm sure you didn't. Well, yeah, and it's uh, it's surprising that you put it in here because this is not one of the games that. Um, like I remember when it almost kind of what you just said. Every when we were sold out of everything else, and people were saying, "Hey, I need an RPG," or Christmas time was around, it was flying off the shelf because there wasn't anything else, and I don't think that people really had a negative opinion of the game. But like you said, it was just overshadowed by so much, uh, so many other games at that time um, that people were more familiar with. So this is not a game that I actually ever played, um, but I never really heard anything bad about it either. I've never heard anything about it, period, until today. My number three, or number two, I'm sorry, my two. number two is Mortal Kombat. Hey. I don't, like, rip spines out. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, burn people down. I love this game. This game was violence and gore at its best in the 90s. And I absolutely adored it for all of it. Now, before we get into number one, like, like if both of you, do you guys have anything to say about Mortal Kombat? I mean, it's pretty straightforward, right? I played Mortal Kombat on the Game Gear. On the Game Gear, good God. With eight AAA batteries. Eight AAA batteries. Uh, Albert, what about you? Mortal Kombat? Um. Yeah, I can. Well, uh, how much time do we have? Because really, we don't have. Well, no, we no don't. I know. This game. The biggest thing about this game was the controversy behind it. The yep. controversy of the blood. It was everywhere. There was a mode in here where you could shut this thing off 
if you if you needed to, it turned into what was it, green or something like that. Yeah. Um, you could turn the color off, kind of thing. But it was huge. This is this started a lot of the the ratings and a lot of the political debate about what was al- what kids were allowed to see uh, in the arcades. So it, I mean that in itself, it kind of really set has its place in history, I guess, with with video game history. Um, but really, I think Mortal Kombat Two was the first one that I th- that I really got into. I played Mortal Kombat One, um, but I think Two was a better game overall. Yeah, see, I was just a lot better at one than I was at two, which is probably why it made the list. Uh, before before we go on to everyone's number one, I just there are some games that I think haven't been mentioned yet that I think need at least an honorable mention. And for me, the one game that hasn't been mentioned is Metal Gear. Does anybody else remember playing Metal Gear on the NES? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, oh, yeah. I, I just I feel like that should be an honorable mention. Anybody have another honorable mention game that's not on your list? Street Fighter 2. It didn't make my list, and I toyed and debated, and this is where I said I was losing sleep over. Um, but yeah, this game. is one. It's just, it, well, yeah, it is. And it, Championship Edition is probably a better version of it, but the fact that this was the first one, and, and you could argue the street, the very first Street Fighter, but that's kind of really different. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, is, this started the fighting genre as we know it, at least during the 80s and what came after that all the way through the 90s. This was, you know, the prototype. Double Dragon for me is another one. I love Double Dragon. For me, we've already mentioned it before, but Oregon Trail. Yeah, Oregon Trail. There you go. That's a good one. Uh, all right, so let's move on to our number ones. Albert, Guest of Honor, what do you got for number one? All right, well, we've already talked about it, um, but uh, it's 1980s Pac-Man, or Puck-Man, if you were in Japan at the time. Um, and so, yeah, I would... I would say that this is a bigger game than Tetris. And the only reason is because of the cultural phenomenon aspect of it all. As big as Tetris was, and as many people you saw that had... Tetris was is, is interesting because I can make an argument for Tetris being bigger than Pac-Man because you had uh, little old ladies with Game Boys playing Tetris. And you didn't have little old ladies sitting in arcades playing Pac-Man at the time, right? But the fact that... Pac-Man had a song that was named after them, right? Buckner Garcia's Pac-Man Fever came out in 81, hit number nine, Billboard charts. Huge. It was all over every radio station at that time. Uh, You had a cartoon. You got a breakfast cereal. You had lunchboxes. You had all these versions of the home ports, board games, card games. You could not go anywhere or do anything circa 1980 and not be just consumed and slapped in the face by Pac-Man, and it really, and you can, and Miss Pac-Man is a way better game. Don't get me wrong; I'm not even going to try to argue that this game is better or not. If if I'm going solely off the game itself, Miss Pac-Man wins uh, hands down. But the fact that this started it all, uh, and 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 the cultural phenomenon of it is, I think, puts it above everything else for me. And and if I could just put one other thing too, uh, if you've read the Ready, Ready Player One novel, there's a part in the book. Uh, where Wade goes in and he's trying to play this perfect game. Um, in 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 order to play a perfect game, you got to score three million three hundred thirty thousand three hundred sixty points. Um, and and there's a number of record holders now. I think there's seven people that hold this record. Um, and there's a really cool story. I know we're really short on time here, but there's a really cool story about what happens when you get to level two hundred fifty five. Uh, the game kind of goes berserk because it tries to make two hundred fifty six fruit at the bottom of the screen and it suddenly cuts off half the screen. And the only way to get that perfect score is to use what you have to have all your maximum lives. You have to have eaten every single pellet, every single fruit up until that you cannot have died. And you've got to eat half of the pellets that you can see on the screen uh, with your remaining lives every single time. So 
Um, yeah, there's just there's just so much that we you know this game kind of did for a lot of other games, but given the uh, the cultural aspects, I think it, it would rank number one for me. Yeah, no, I don't I don't disagree, and I don't I don't know that there's a, a better argument out there for it than the one you just made. Um, like Garrick, you're the one who said that Tetris was like. Can you you want to rebut that, or are you just like screw it and let me just do my number two? <laughs> no, uh, no, no rebuttals here. I, Pac-Man was one of the most influential games in the '80s. I understand that. Um, I I just give Tetris a little bit more credit. Now, granted, I think Tetris blew up more in the '90s than it did the '80s, um, but they both came out in the '80s. Um, but yeah, like like Albert said, you saw little old ladies with Game Boys playing Tetris out in the streets. The freaking president, Doctor Mario, one. for life. Life. <laughs> exactly like the the game boy i mean nintendo's always been good about that though just getting into everybody's homes oh, yeah. not just gamers um but the game boy really got video games in the hand of the populace and then they did it again with the wii all right what's your but number two what's your number two Garrett? my number one or number one i'm sorry <laughs> i just um, you know when i think of number two i always think of garrick i understand <laughs> I'm sorry, what's your number one? What's your number one, Gary? My number one. Released by Blizzard Entertainment in 2000 on PC. Oh, I know this one. I know this one. What is it? Uh, World of Warcraft. Nope. Nope, that's a good (laughs) guess. That's a good guess. No, that was 2004 World of Warcraft. I was kidding. Yeah. Uh, Diablo 2. I (laughs) I don't understand. This game holds a special place in my heart. It doesn't. Okay. Whatever. Okay. So, my... My late uncle, may he rest in peace, this was one of our bonding moments. I would go over to, to Texas in the summer, I would hang out with him, and we would play Diablo until the very wee hours in the morning. Um, when this game released, I was with my uncle, and we went and he bought two copies, one for me, one for him, so that we could play together. And that's all we did that summer. Um, we had played... Diablo 1 before we had done LAN networks on Diablo, which was awesome. Yeah, that was fun. And I I always say that Diablo was the first game I ever played, but it wasn't. I'm pretty sure it was Super Mario Bros. But um, Diablo is really the, the first game that made me love video games. Like, just love video games. And so when Diablo 2 came out, it was, it was my everything. And I played this i still play this game like i always go back to diablo 2 at least once a year and play it some more this never got old or tiring for me i loved the graphics for it um i loved diablo as a genre and as a series like diablo like is a thing they started the action rpg genre so i give diablo 2 the most credit for that i think it was the most popular diablo and i Love it. Okay. Well, I I can't poo poo your 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 nostalgia there and your love for it and and the you know how your uncle got you into it. So I guess Diablo two top ten retro game. Uh, this is my list, yeah. son. Step off. Good God, Cab! If you call me son one more time. Uh, <laughs> What's your number my, one? Uh, my number one. Thanks for asking. Uh, Final Fantasy seven. Now look, I I like all of my almost all of my uh, top ten lists have been. I've been, uh, you know, arcade games, cabinet games, uh, save for Tecmo Super Bowl and Super Mario Brothers. So I had to go 
with the game just like you did like this is what really sucked me in to the rpg uh genre if you will this is what got me going i hadn't like i wasn't big into zelda I was, you know, I was the guy who would play Super Mario Brothers. I was the guy who would stay up till four o'clock in the morning at a friend's house to to figure out how to beat Mike Tyson's punch out. Like that, that's what I, those were the type of games that I got into. I didn't get into these role playing games until Final Fantasy VII. So for me, that is the pinnacle of, of retro. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what they're, they're putting out um, later this, this year, next year. God only knows when that remake's coming out, reboot, whatever have it is. No idea. Yeah. Uh, Albert, what do you, Diablo 2, Final Fantasy 7? Diablo 2 is somewhere in my top 10, maybe number one or number two in terms of those types of games of action RPGs. So right there with you on that one. Um, and probably not, and right behind it or right next to it is probably Diablo 1. Uh, so yeah, mad respect for that game. And then with Final Fantasy 7, this again, this is another one of the game that I was behind the counter selling this sucker all day long. But I, this is one of those games that we were moving and selling magazines because of the demo, right? PlayStation Underground at that time, uh, I think it was their second edition, and don't hold me to that, but they released this on there. We cannot keep that magazine in stock. And this is one of those games that before even the game came out, I played this demo over and over and over again just to experience it. It's probably sitting in my number one, number two of this kind of a genre somewhere. So, uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of, of Seven, as most of the world probably is, to be honest. Nice, nice. Yep. So there's our, our top ten. Now, we're also going to talk <laughs> as quickly as humanly possible uh, about how you can play some of these games uh, today. And and uh, we're going to talk about the Retro Pie. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, what that is. We're going to talk about how that stacks up against the NES and the Super NES Classic. So, Albert, I know you know a lot about the Raspberry Retro Pie because that that was part of like when you were putting together the basement. Didn't you say that like you were like inches away from starting a a, a retro gaming podcast? Yeah, um, it was going to be focused really around the NES um, and and kind of doing. Very similar to what we're doing on the basement now, where we're kind of breaking down, but we were kind of just going to break down each one of the games and, and kind of get into the the background, the history, the sales, the cover art, which is we haven't touched on any of that. But if you know, well, you were on the show, I get tied up in the cover art and I get tied up in the storylines of these uh, of these games, and it really pisses me off half the time. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, that was originally what we were going to do. Um, yeah, but there's a lot of these games you can find on the RetroPie. In fact. If you, depending on where you go and, and how much you want to spend and, you know, what dark circles you run in, you can get just about anything uh, on there now these days. Right. So I'm yeah. looking at like the RetroPie website and they're like, good God, there's hardware kits. There's the Raspberry Pi 3. There's anything you want, basically. Right. Like I and this isn't my thing. I'm going to be honest. I'm not the guy who wants to build something. And I'm certainly not the guy you want to build something because it's not going to look the way that it should look. And it's probably not going to be built. I'm just not that hands on guy. I'm, I never have been. So when you put this together, Albert, this is it hard? Is it difficult? Um, you got to have a basic understanding of, I guess, computing, at least, and, and being able to um, look at command lines and just kind of programming them yourselves. I mean, it doesn't really take a whole lot, but if you can look at something and type it in and get it all set up in that way, if you've ever built a computer before, 
um, you're in pretty good shape uh, easily enough. And even if you've not, if you've just tweaked around with the computer uh, and know where to plug things in, for the most part, now it's not like it was you know five, six years ago. It's pretty much plug and play. There's very little configuration that needs to happen um, to get it up and running. So um, don't get don't get overwhelmed when you go to the websites because you can really get tied and in, in get pulled down in the quagmire of programming in Linux, and that's really not necessary. There's okay. there's benefits there from doing it, but just to get it up and running and be able to just pick up a controller and start playing, there's really not a whole lot these days. Well, can you like find code to copy and paste into this or? You can go in and and do some of that if you'd like, um, but for the most part, once you've got the ROMs, it they they pretty much play themselves. So I'm looking at some of the ROMs that they've got now, like some of the console systems that that the RetroPie says that they that that you can program, right? So uh, 3DO, the Amiga, the Amstrad CPC, the Apple II, the Atari 2600, the 5200, the 7800, the Jaguar, the Lynx, the Atari ST, STE, TT, and Falcon, ColecoVision, Color Computer. Speaking my language here. Right? Commodore 64, Dragon 32, Dreamcast, Game Boy Advance, Game... This just goes on and on and on. I'd be reading this literally for five minutes. Yeah. No, everything. Everything's out there these days. It's not like it was 10 years ago where... We were downloading emulators and trying to figure out what ROMs would work and what didn't and all that. It's just, it's kind of crazy these days how easy it is to pick right. stuff they up. Right, they even have the Wii. The PlayStation 1, the PlayStation 2, and the Wii. And then they've got, I've never heard of the Wonderswan and the Wonderswan Color, but apparently those were things. And this has it. Virtual Boy is on here. Good God, there's just a ton, like you said, everything. So it's basically just writing code. It's simplistic code, and it's basic understanding. So what are the pros of doing a Raspberry Pi versus uh, just picking up uh, 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 an NES or an SNES Classic? Well, you're, you're limited in terms of number of games, right? On the NES, NES Classic, you're only going to have what's been prepackaged in the Raspberry Pi. It's pretty much whatever you want, whatever you can find, whatever ROMs you can get your hands on. Uh, they're really, it's limitless in terms of what console, what kind of game. I mean, everything is there available to you. So, um, Definitely would recommend people picking up a Raspberry Pi and going with that. Um, but, you know, if that's still, if that's not your thing or you want just the, the convenience of being able to plug in three cables and uh, power and, <laughs> you know, one to the back of the TV, that's probably the route, the route to go. There's, and, and those guys have done it right, right? The, 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 uh, the NES Classics and all that, they've done it right. They've got all the, the, the bigger selling games. But it's when you start getting into the obscure stuff or some of the stuff even that we've talked about on the show tonight – some of that stuff you're not going to find on on those prepackaged stuff, so you'll have to go the route of emulators or like a Raspberry Pi kind of solution. Right. No, absolutely. And I think yeah, for you're going to get the most bang for your buck from from the Pi. Now, can you make the Pi look like like you can you get the controllers that you want? Like yeah, or, you can get yeah Bluetooth controllers or any. There's all kinds of third. They're all third party market controllers. Uh, <laughs> right. But yeah. But there are there's tons of controllers out there in in every design. If you want the old classic, you know, two button pads, you can do that. If you want to get a joystick, they sell those. If you want to go with a you know more traditional uh, Xbox or PS controller, you can you know definitely get that. They all work. They all you can pre-program them. The GUIs are pretty intuitive in terms of how assigning buttons and all of that. You can customize it. If you're a South Paul, you can do that. I mean, you really have endless options uh, because it's you know all based on Linux and people that have spent the time and enthusiasts that have programmed this stuff to make it very convenient for you to to play and 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 get the most out of it so 
Um, yeah, you've got a, a, a number of options there in terms of what you want to do with the controllers. Nice. That's, that, you know, I'm, I've been looking into this and I might do that. And then again, I might not because all these games that are coming out are about to suck my life away, including Octopath Traveler, which we will be talking about next week. It is the Bad Gamer Anonymous July game of the month. Albert, my friend, it has been an absolute honor and pleasure to have you on. You are a, a plethora of knowledge about the 80s, the 90s, and, and everywhere in between then and now. So thank you for coming on. Uh, tell the fine folks again where they can find your podcast, how they can listen to you. Yeah, you can go to any of the podcatchers. Um, you can go to iTunes just to look for The Basement, RPO. Uh, that stands for Ready Player One, if you'd like to follow The Basement. If you'd like to follow us on the Cantina Cast, just do a search for Cantina Cast. Uh, two, two words. Uh, you'll find us there. And you can find us on social media. We're on just about everything except for Vero because everyone jumped on Vero and everybody jumped off Vero. But if you'd like to follow us on all the social media pages, we're on Facebook, Twitter, uh, and Instagram for both of the shows, both The Basement and um for the cantina cast do you have a google plus uh jonesy does i do not uh and he's gonna kill me because i just announced that we were supposed to keep that a secret amongst the three of us uh there was a holy bond that was created and i've just broken it so i apologize (laughs) okay perfect again albert thank you so much for coming on sharing your knowledge with us and, and sharing your opinions with us it's been it's been fantastic uh we look forward to having you back on again soon i, I yes, encourage you. everybody to go out and and jump on his discord especially if you want to talk cereal because that cereal channel is absolutely on fire all the time it is, it is li- like the kids say is lit lit it's so lit right now yes as the children say i'm sure garrick says it at least twice a day that something is. I lit. don't say it's lit. That's old stuff, man. Now you just say it's fire. I don't. I can't keep up with this at all. Uh, but yeah, uh, real quick, uh, what's your favorite cereal of all time, Garrett? Go, Captain Crunch. Oh yeah, Garrett, you and I are best friends again, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I've redeemed. Myself. You have. You have. You absolutely have. Uh, Albert, what's your favorite cereal of all time? Uh, GI Joe. It's stars and bars with me. All you know what? As long as it's not Fruity Pebbles, we're still best friends. We'll see everybody next week. Thanks for listening. 